Hello again, everybody, and welcome to the Jim Coronet Experience. It's a pay-per-view podcast. Every topic today, a main event in any arena. We're going to send up SmackDown, Crack on Collision, and Slaughter SummerSlam, all for the people, the cult of Cornet. And joining me, Hawaiian Brian, the podcasting lion, the king of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network, Mr. Co-host to you, the astute analyst of Arcadian Vanguard himself, the great Brian Last, everybody. Aloha, Jim. A pleasure to be here once again. And I want to say that I, too, was bullied by the AEW women's locker room. Every <laughs> single time I try to walk in there, they scream, no, get out. They throw things at me. Get out. That's clear bullying. Ah. They, 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 you mean to tell me that they they scream when you simply go in there to check and see if everything is according to Hoyle and, and is uh, being executed properly? That's right. Bullying. 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 It'll make you feel unwanted. Somebody's going to drop kick you in the back of the head. <laughs> we're we're going to talk about some of that, too. The, the, the drama is not... I guess for once we can say the drama is not confined to the male locker room. The female locker room has drama also. We have no dogs in the fight, but I don't know if that's a proper simile. That's right. Nevertheless. No, no dogs in the fight. The only time I uh, ask anything about the women's locker room is the question, does Anna Jay like Jewish men? Oh, for heaven's sake. I'm sure she's a non-denominational person. I don't know. I don't <laughs> person. know how to finish Good. that. Good. I don't know how to finish that. I do know how to finish. <laughs> let's <laughs> let's have an update here. Um, you see, I've got an update from our old friend Chester Snapdragon McFisticuffs down in Cold Spring, Kentucky, because he heard about we just talked about on the previous show the drive-through Adrian Street. Uh, he passed away last week, and um. He brought up something that I'd for neglected to mention that also several people on Twitter had had talked about. You remember the our friends across the pond in the United Kingdom reviled the name, but at one time he was a very popular television personality, I guess in the 60s and 70s over there, named Jimmy Seville. Yeah, he was on top of the pops. I mean, when you ever see footage of the Beatles or the Rolling Stones or any of those bands in the 60s, he's in the mix. He looks ridiculous, and yeah. it turns out, horrible human being who deserved death. And who was apparently exposed, I don't know how long after that period of time it was that he was exposed, but everybody found out about it. It's not like well, a debate thing, it's, yeah. what, how did, do you, do you know how that came out? Well, it came out years later, but I guess part of the story is, and it may even tie into this Adrian Street thing, there were people in the entertainment industry, let's say, who knew. Like John Lydon, Johnny Rotten of the Sex Pistols, did an interview on the BBC in like 78 or 79 talking about Jimmy Seville being a pervert and no one noticed it. No one realized he was telling the truth. <laughs> and then years later, he's like, yeah, we all heard things about this fucking guy. Well, I guess that, that group, those folks, um, they bandied about accusations fairly frequently in their interviews. So maybe it just, it got covered up with the repetition, but nevertheless, Jimmy Seville come to find out, was a child molester and a pedophile. I don't know how they pronounce it over there because they put an extra A in pedophile. Is it pedophile or pedophile or whatever? But at one point before this was even known, and I don't know because I didn't know this story until after I had managed Adrian, 
but Adrian beat the shit out of him in a match because apparently he was such a popular personality on television and wanted to be a wrestler and did for some period of time wrestle at least some. And apparently Adrian just thought he was an, an annoying fuck, I think, that was making fun of the wrestling business and, um, you know, uh, stretched him to some extent and roughed him up and kicked the shit out of him and got a lot of, I don't know whether he knew anything at that point or not, but apparently this guy was somebody that would just annoy you to be around him anyway. So they wanted to, everybody said, you should have brought up when he beat up Jimmy Seville because to the folks over in the UK, Adrian is well thought of for that. I just wanted to bring that up. We probably didn't bring up enough how much he hates Big Daddy or how much he hated Big Daddy <laughs> when we talked about him either. Well, I think any wrestler in the United Kingdom probably during that period of time, secretly down deep, was had a Big Daddy voodoo doll. Because it was just, it, it was kind of like, it wasn't even Hogan Hulkamania because Hogan could work as we've seen and had some psychology and was just got to be an insufferable personality because of the, the state of him. But big daddy was never, it, it wasn't even the ultimate warrior because warrior at least looked good until he tried to move or speak. So, you know, all the, because he was the, the promoter's brother and had had a, what lackluster career 20 years earlier when he wasn't the, the brother of the guy in charge and was just one of the boys. And then suddenly when he's fucking elderly and missing teeth and 400 pounds, he's the greatest wrestler in the world. So I can see where there would be resentment. Can't you? Oh yeah. I mean, whenever you see any of that world of sports stuff, it's always the athleticism. It's never, well, I mean, it's not, I shouldn't say never, but you don't seek out, you know, Big Daddy bumping bellies with giant haystacks as much as you do Rollerball Rocco or something. Well, because it it he went against everything that the whole business had been founded on for, you know, however many years it had been in existence at that point in time. But he was over. He was over. And when he was done, the whole business was over. That's right. He was over. And when he wasn't over, the business was over in England. <laughs> Yes, over, done, kaput, in the archives, vapor, history. Speaking of people that are soon to be history, um, we want, we got the, the big pay-per-view today and all this other stuff going on, and we are assembling some more information to update everybody on the ongoing Weasel Colin Thompson cast media live one potential SEC scandal stock trades blah 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 fraud impropriety that's coming up on the drive through we've now we've had an interesting contact on social media from a person who knows Colin Thompson's family and apparently they're now even finding out what a uh, a money owing weasel looks like in their own midst so we're going to have more on him here uh, coming does do we need to have that legally cleared that i just said that it, or is it that allegedly Allegedly, but every segment about them will be legally cleared, and his family may find out other things about him that have been a lie. So stay tuned. Living a lie? You know, hey, you can't live a lie. Because when you live lies, well, loose lies sink dicks. And this dick is fixed to get sunk.
What do you? <laughs> well, see, that's, that was an old World War II <laughs> slogan. Oh yeah, you and, they had it. You and your buddies what? in the bunks used to say this to each other. In the bunks. I've never been in the bunks with my buddies. I'll have you know, but we yes, loose, loose liars set their pants on fire. And Colin Thompson's fixing to walk through hell with gasoline underwear on. Anyway, that's uh, coming up on the drive-thru. We got some more interesting information. I have got to find something, Brian, that I've, I've just heard about that could change the face of the professional wrestling industry as we know it. This might be news to you. This just came out here just, well, I guess overnight. Um, you know, they've been investigating Vince McMahon and the, the lawsuits, the improprieties, money payments, millions of dollars. We know that story, right? We've, I don't need to go back and go through that again. No, that's, and, the, go- that's the government's job. Yes, that, that's up to the FBI at this point. And as well, we know there have been some other, uh, the, the MLW is suing the WWE for antitrust. And, uh, you know, this time there's no you know, friendship with Senator Kefauver and Nick Goulas for him to get out of it. So that may be a big one. Um, but I think the finally the lawsuit has been filed that's going to take down pro wrestling as we know it. Both the WWE and AEW are being sued as we speak. Have you have you heard about this? By the same person, by the same for the same thing. I have not heard about is it Ryback? No, incredibly enough. Okay. It is it is it is not indeed the meathead. It is Anthony Dwayne Wilson. <laughs> who the fuck is that? Well, no, I'm you're fixed to find out who this motherfucker is. I'm telling you what. Because thanks to our friends at PW Insider, Mike Johnson is on this this K. You know, Mike is a legal expert. By by now he could he could joust wits with Stephen P. New. He's he's covered so many of these suits. And Mike Johnson is reporting on PW Insider that a lawsuit was filed against both WWE and AEW yesterday in the United States District Court, Northern District of Ohio in Youngstown by Anthony Dwayne Wilson, who has accused each company of plagiarism, market damages, product damages, personal damages, and financial damages. Should I go on? Yeah. And give you the specifics? Sure. Well, although the specifics are not specifically explained in the filing, much of which was handwritten. See, now that's where you know... Rocker Khan. We gotta love you, gotta love you. That's where you know that he's got his real heart and soul in this. When he didn't even want to touch a keyboard, he wanted to write it in his own handwriting. Is it in pencil or pen? That's the big question. That was not uh, that was not uh, enumerated here, but much of which was handwritten. Wilson alleged that WWE, its contractors and employees, have on multiple dates used my creative works without permission, infringing on my wrestling gimmicks, names, slogans, and likenesses. Wilson also alleges that he was going to start his own promotion and spoke with members of the Bullet Club to join me in the venture of starting my company. Oh, shit. Insta- well, and see, he's going straight to the top. This guy seems legit. Yeah, he's, he's spoken to the Bullet Club. <laughs> but I wonder, is it Bullet Club Gold or just Bullet Club, or is it the original club? Which club was he speaking to? Yeah, which member of the Bullet Club? 
And I continue, instead, without breaking down specifics, Wilson alleges they stole the plans from me and my social media pages and cut me out without giving credit or the portion I am entitled to as the creator. Because Anthony Dwayne Wilson is the creator. What did he say he created? Well, he created these ideas they stole. What ideas? These creative works. The wrestling gimmicks, names, slogans, and likeness. He's not saying he created the Bullet Club. He's just saying he spoke to the Bullet Club. No, he spoke to them to start the company, to help him start the company. And 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 I guess he he spilled the beans on a lot of these million-dollar ideas, and they've immediately gone to both the WWE and AEW. But anyway, I'll continue. In the lawsuit filing, Wilson claimed the situation has caused him, quote, Market damages, product damages, personal damages, financial damages. Well, WWE and, not and, but A-N, and AEW are still using infringing works of mine, claiming they created these things and are not crediting me or paying for them, many of which are not for sale. <laughs> this will follow me my entire career. <laughs> this has cost me work outside of professional wrestling and inside professional wrestling. These things have cost me fans and income. Several of these infringements were done maliciously to damage my reputation and career, attempting to embarrass me or waste my time. I'm a writer and professional wrestler. My creative works are my livelihood. From my research, I was informed if you cut out an original partner or the creator control of the company belongs to the exiled party. <laughs> he looked it up. Would you like me to repeat that one? Yeah, please. Please. From my research, I was informed if you cut out an original partner or the creator, control of the company belongs to the exiled party. Is he basing that on Vince McMahon? I, I apparently everybody that's ever been cut out of a company <laughs> they get the company. immediately owned it but never knew it. <laughs> he goes. Was, on. It a, was it a slow news day over there? I, like, well, how did this no, it, it's, no, this is big news. <laughs> this was filed, which again says something about the justice system somewhere in the northern district of Ohio. Well, up in Youngstown, they're, they're a little. They're little. They're looking for work up there. He continues. You know, you want you want to know what he wants, right? Yeah. What he's asking for in this to to make himself whole. I want to know anything he's claiming he did or owned specifically, and yes, what he's asking for. Well, what he's asking for, I am seeking control of AEW and removal yeah. of stolen works. A public apology seems reasonable. And a financial settlement for damages, my works and career will see until I retire. Is he claiming that he invented the idea of AEW? He spoke to the Bullet Club about his other promotion that he was going to start, and then they this went and started AEW? Well, this has not been made clear here. I get, Well, that's for the courts to decide. I mean, why else would he say he wants control of it? Not like, I want WWE. He's saying specifically, I well, want no, control no, no, of AEW. No, well, I'm not done. Oh. I'm not done. Oh. That's just... I'm. He wants control of AEW. That's one of the things he wants. He wants removal of stolen works. He wants a public apology, financial settlement for damages. And the, the, my works and career will see until I retire. Well, that speaks for itself. And then the next <laughs> sentence, 
Stop it. <laughs> the, the, the next sentence, I will just read verbatim and you can decide for yourself. WWE board chair, comma, WWE stock for freelance work and <laughs> business tactics of mine. Period. Next sentence, last sentence. Return all ships and plunder. Okay, now it's taking a real turn from crazy town to the sea. So... Uh, again, I don't know what WWE board chair, WWE stock for freelance work and business tactics of mine. I don't know what that means as a sentence. Is that a request, a statement? He's requesting an observation. He uh, wants to be chairman of the board of WWE is what he's saying on top of being, I mean, this is a monopoly situation. I hate to break it to him. He's going to run AEW and be chairman of the board for WWE. Uh, apparently, I guess. And, and then all the ships and plunder have to be returned. Oh, and so uh, Mike Johnson goes on to report that neither the WWE or AEW have been served as of this writing, but Wilson is seeking. Here we get, we get to the bottom line down here, uh, the financial part of it. It's all about the money. Wilson is seeking $250 million in damages, as well as, apparently, all ships and plunder. Seems fair. And, uh, you know, Rocket Con was at $3 billion. That would be for a that would be twelve times this if if they really ripped Anthony Dwayne Wilson off to to this extent, I would think that he should have asked for at least a billion. Cause I mean, I he couldn't go all the way with three billion because Home Depot's not involved. I think someone should introduce Anthony Dwayne Wilson to Rock Khan, get them together, these two crazy kids. You know, they could uh, they could probably conquer the world. They could write all sorts of lawsuits. Sure, they could handwrite them. <laughs> That's what I'm saying, of course. And then, and then he could, well, actually, he could handwrite them and she could stand up on a box out in front of a courthouse and put them on YouTube. <laughs> I'd watch. I I'm the audience. I'm the audience for their show. So I hope they uh, go forward with that. And good luck, Anthony Dwayne Wilson. Of, uh, I don't know where he's from. The, the lawsuit was filed in Youngstown. He may be from Erie, Ohio, or maybe Erie, Indiana. The joke's going to be on us. He's going to win and take control of everything. <laughs> hey, um, hey, real quick on this topic of lawsuits. Uh, unless, are you still going with, is there more? No, no, no. There, there's no more as of yet. He's, he's doling it out in small increments to keep us hooked. You know, whether it's Jacob Fatu, who actually has had some out of the ring controversies lately, or Hammerstone, various people with MLW, the MLW WWE lawsuit, does that hurt guys who may want to eventually leave MLW and go somewhere because WWE would probably avoid them due to the lawsuit? Well, they've got pretty much by honest business practices, they have to avoid them while they're under contract to somebody. Uh, the, the gray area is how do you make it known to a talent that, Hey, you know, that's a nice contract there, but if anything ever happened to it, you know, call it because that, and usually that's done informally through friends, acquaintances, and people in the social circle, and or occasionally people who, you know, leave one company and go to another one and have a great fucking phone directory. But I, to me, if you wanted a talent and you saw a talent in a smaller company, uh, you know, maybe they might want to 
regardless of how AEW might feel about WWE or WWE about AEW, even the WWE, if they saw a talent in a smaller company that they thought they could really make money with, I think they would find some way to make that feeling known and, you know, at the same time, not violate any actionable regulations so that the guy would know, look, I've got a shot at going here and making this money. Maybe I shouldn't sign for five fucking years or seven years or 10 years or, you know, whatever the fuck and just put all my eggs in this basket. But, you know, at the same time, maybe the, the talent individually is say, you know, I'll just be here. I don't know. Well, we will find out. Anthony Dwayne Johnson, not Dwayne Johnson, Anthony Dwayne Wilson. <laughs> Anthony Dwayne Johnson. <laughs> How much you want to bet Dwayne's not his real name? He added that as his middle name because he loves to rock. <laughs> well, no, it's it's spelled D-U-A-N-E. So I think it's it's kind of like the, the, the Wayne theory in serial killers. The middle name. The middle name. Uh, your middle name of every serial killer used to be Wayne. Well, I think your middle name of every... Crackpot lawsuit filer will now from henceforth be known as Dwayne. Who's been served? Has anyone been served with this lawsuit? No, I just I just read that. I said neither WWE or AEW has been served. I don't know, you know, maybe are you being served? It sucks you hear about a story like this and you get disappointed that there aren't just like crazy like He's also serving Buff Bagwell and well, now, Cheetah that, Express. Or whatever. Rocka set a precedent that, uh, <laughs> you know, now it's going to be difficult to follow. Because really, you know, what more can you do? All righty. We had some fun here. I've, I've been stalling off on doing this because I wanted to have fun at first with the, <clears throat> the funniness. Um but I've been saying for a couple weeks, Brian, you know what this is, but I've been saying for a couple weeks that I was going to make a big announcement today about something we got coming up at jimcornet.com, Cornet's Collectibles, et cetera, et cetera. And it's not just a plug. It's going to be a story. And I wasn't sure how I was going to do it anyway. I was probably just going to tell the story, which uh, there's points in that story. It was going to be difficult enough for me to get through. And I was telling you that earlier this morning before we started doing this. And 15 minutes before we started taping this program, somebody reminded me on Twitter, I didn't, I did not plan this part. I'm making this announcement because the shit's actually about to happen. It's been a couple years in the making. So, but I didn't plan that this, as we're sitting here talking, Brian is two years to the day that Bobby Eaton passed away. Oh my God. I didn't know I that didn't either. I didn't realize because I don't know what date it is anymore. Anyway, I just talk to you every fucking day on tape. Right. So that threw me off a little bit with how, whether I'm going to get this out or not, but nevertheless, um, you know, Brian, that, that this year, 2023, 2024 is the, 40th anniversary of the formation of the Midnight Express. Bobby Eaton, Dennis Condry, and myself in Mid-South. We, <clears throat> we started uh, the day before Thanksgiving with the first television taping of 1983 and then came back two weeks later and did another TV taping and then started full-time in the territory Christmas Day in New Orleans. 
1983, but 1984 has always been the year that's kind of been linked with this because that was our big run. So we always considered the the 3-4 year to be the anniversary. And actually, it, it's kind of hit, and without us even meaning to, starting with 20, it was 2004 that Dennis moved back to Alabama and reconnected with us, got back involved in wrestling, and we started doing the reunions for our 20th anniversary. And then the 25th anniversary, uh, Bobby and Dennis were already still working regularly at that time on independence. And you remember toward the, you know, last of the two thousands, they were in demand and, and doing big business again with the rock and roll and the Steiners and those guys in the Carolinas, they were, you know, doing college, high school gyms, a couple thousand people. But the 25th anniversary technically was the Midnight Express scrapbook. And that has gone on to achieve, you know, fucking infamy on eBay when you can get one. And then the 30th anniversary was, uh, we were still doing Fan Fest, but we did a string of, you know, the Fan Fest in our old stomping grounds. That's when we got inducted in the Hall of Heroes in Charlotte, and Stan was involved in all of these, obviously. And then the 35th anniversary, because now that was... 2018-2019, and by this point, you know, we were all uh, stretching it a little bit at this point chronologically, but that was the year that Dennis was finally able to come back and do public appearances. He had been pretty much at home for two and a half years with two different rounds with cancer, which he won both. And we built... Obviously, Bobby was not wrestling anymore by this time. Stan has not wrestled for quite some time. But we kind of built that anniversary around doing some fan fests and reunions in, you know, our favorite old areas. And we were in Nashville and we were in Richmond and we were in Charlotte that year and et cetera. And Dennis got a chance to, that's, they were also, they appeared on the uh, Crockett Cup pay-per-view from Charlotte that year. That was the, uh, you know, the chance for Dennis to come back and get a chance to see all the fans again and kind of get used to doing appearances with his artificial voice box. So anyway, the last one of those that we got to do in 2018-2019, um, we were all four in goddamn somewhere right before this, but then the last one of the midnight reunions was on the the show that Sigmund of the Heat Seekers did for Bobby in Knoxville, the, the Don't Tell Bobby show that uh, was advertised on social media, and the rib was if you didn't tell Bobby because he didn't have a computer and didn't have a smartphone, he wouldn't know about it, and we surprised him with it. And we raised some money for him that night for the medical bills that he had had. And that was the last time Bobby and Dennis and I were together in the same place. And at that time, you know, then the pandemic came along and what was it? It was February of 2020 and all shows, reunions, et cetera, got shut down. And, you know, let's face it. I was not, doing that many appearances these days to begin with. Stan 
You know, everybody thinks of Stan as hale and hearty. He had the little heart thing several years ago, and that's fine. But, you know, he can't get too mad on a golf course. But he's got to the point where he doesn't like to fly like me because he's thinking, well, fuck, he gets claustrophobic and people fucking aggravate him. And he's thinking, well, f what the fuck? If my fucking thing goes off here in the, on the plane, I'm five miles up. So he doesn't travel that much anymore. He's 70, by the way. Happy birthday, Stanfield. He just turned 70. His problem is with his genes, he may live to be 100. Uh, thanks to his parents, he may need a third career. But anyway, we weren't going to be doing that many more appearances to begin with. And I was trying to think of something at that time that, you know, would be beneficial to the Midnight Express that we may do in the future, and I didn't know it was going to take this long. But we've done all those things, and this is what I was thinking. It, it, during, during 2019, I had started talking about this. It may have even, even been late 2018, because everybody knows that Crockett's merchandise compared to Vince's in the 80s was non-existent, right? And then WCW's with TBS was fucking embarrassing. So the Midnight never got the, the big round of merchandise. And the Midnight Express made very good money for the time they were in the business, considering the field. But the economics have changed, and they never got in on the massive DVD and you know, of action figure and video game royalties. And at the same time, Brian, you know, and I know both from being not only around the business, but being collectors of things not even wrestling related. You know, it, just because you got a, a figure or a piece of merchandise doesn't mean the actual guy made a lot of money off of it. We've all seen the, you know, contracts for 2% of net revenue which comes out to every time they sell your action figure, you owe them three cents. Um, but anyway, I started thinking about some different ways that we could market the Midnight Express in the future. And I'd started talking to Figures Toy Company because we've done the books, we've done appearances, we've done autographs, we've done fan fest, we've done the reunion legends pay-per-views. The Midnight Express has never had a set of action figures because of the places they worked in the era and the time period. And a lot of people have asked about them, but obviously, as you know, it's not just as easy as, you know, to for any volume, oh, we'll just make our own, and for any quality, et cetera. And finally, I'd had enough success, thanks to the Cult of Cornette, with my figures that I'd been able to start talking to Figures Toy Company and then the pandemic came and shut China down. And so that delayed things. And then about two and a half years ago, when things started alleviating, as far as at least being able to get stuff over here, we started talking about it again. And I started getting with the boys and discussing what we could do and, and what I had thought that we were going to put together for our 40th anniversary, which as I mentioned before I started droning on about this is this year, this year and next year. I thought what we can do, remember Brian in 2019, I hadn't started doing the cameos yet. And I thought, what if we could all get together 
in a central location, me and Bobby, Stan, and Dennis. And we, for a weekend, we can do cameo videos personalized that would be a cool thing for the fans. And potentially, you know, by this point in time, a limited amount of fan fest appearances because they have come back. But recognizing that, you know, again, Dennis is 73 now. He still likes to do a few fan fests, but this was not something we could take on the road regularly. And Bobby, with his health, that had gone, been going back and forth. So I thought of some stuff that we could get together and do all together and make this a part of it. And that's what we were talking about in the summer of 2021. And right as we got the contracts with Figures Toys for me to, or for us to do the thing that I'm about to tell you about, that's when Bobby had gone in the hospital. And so we, we waited. Obviously, that was more important. And then that's when he had been in the hospital and he got back home and then he went back in. <clears throat> Point being, Brian Thompson, Bobby's friend, because it's a rib. Bobby didn't have a smartphone, didn't have a computer. I didn't, instead of mailing him the contracts and the explanation for what we were going to do it uh, in on paper and him just getting it and not having anybody to go over it with him, I sent Brian Thompson, his friend who used to manage him on the independent shows, a copy of the paperwork because Brian was going over to visit Bobby in Nashville. And right as the weekend that he was going over to visit him, that's when Bobby went back in the hospital. So Brian called me to let him know he's in the hospital and said, I'll, I'll just keep the paperwork. And I said, yes, let's make sure, you know, everything's okay with Bobby first. So he was in there however long. And at that time, Taryn, his daughter, was moving from North Carolina down to Tennessee because since Donna had just passed away, geez, this was a fucking fiasco, wasn't it? Since Donna was gone, Bobby didn't have anybody stay with him. So Taryn was moving her kids down to Tennessee. And so Brian said, I'll go over to, to the hospital and pick Bobby up and take him home, and we'll call you and you can go over the paperwork with him and make sure that all gets done right. So that's what he did, and that's the last time I got to talk to Bobby on phone. And the last time that he signed his name to anything was the contract to do these action figures that we're about to talk about, if I can ever get out of this. So that's kind of how this got kicked off. The idea was for us to do something and eliminate the middleman, because I've been lucky enough with all you guys supporting my merchandise and listening to the program that we don't have to do like a lot of the guys do and let Walmart sell our shit and give us five cents off of it. Because of JimCornette.com and Cornette's collectibles, the idea was the Midnight Express would do their own action figures and get the money from it as kind of a, a retirement thing for our 40th anniversary. And I've said before that we wouldn't have any more anniversaries without Bobby Eaton, and that's true. We're not going to do any appearances that are going to be labeled Midnight Express Reunion. But this 
can be the 40th anniversary of the Midnight Express because this is the last thing that Bobby was involved in. And it took two years to have the molds made and the figures done and the boxes designed and approved and all the figures to be made and painted and shipped over here on this boat. So he's not here to see them, but his kids and his grandkids are going to get his share of the money. Because they're also going to get action figures of them, which is even cooler. And they're also going to, and, and, you know, and Bobby's had figures with, you know, with WCW, with William Regal, Steve Regal then. And I think they did something with him and Arn, but they always, everybody in Bobby's family considered Midnight Express is, you know, his thing. Right. And so, and we had talked again, I get through this. I mentioned to Dennis, you know, that uh, obviously we were talking about the financial arrangements and, and how we would split the money, what the costs were estimated to be. He had said, Corny, between now, because I told him, I said, it's going to take two years to get these out. And he said, well, you know, two years from now, this was some spring or summer of 2021. He said, not to be morbid, but I've already had cancer twice and I'm past 70. If anything happens to me, make sure Teresa gets the money. Because I'm not trying to make Dennis is not running a GoFundMe for himself. And he's got a fine vehicle and a nice house. But he said, that might pay the mortgage off. And if something happens to me between now and then, I would go, go knowing that I wouldn't leave Teresa with a big debt. So that's putting some pressure on me. So then I asked Bobby, I said, Bobby, you know, we're not getting any younger. You just, you're getting out of the hospital. You know, what? where would you like this money to go? I, and he said, my kids and my grandkids, because that was all Bobby thought about at that point. So, and Stan, to be honest, like I said, he doesn't have kids. That's been proven now in court. The money was going to go to a paternity suit, but that has gone away. But uh, but like I said, he still may live to 100 because of his genes, so he may need a second career. So that was the, the focus behind this, ladies and gentlemen, now that I've given you this spiel, was to try to do something for the Midnight Express's 40th anniversary, which we pretty much knew was going to be the last one, and not only give the fans something that they will remember, and that they've been asking for, but also, be honest, the idea was to make Bobby Eaton almost as much money as he made working for Bill Watts, jumping off fucking scaffolds, cutting his head, and fucking fighting fans. And that was just the, the genesis of this whole idea was wanting to do that. And I don't think either Dennis or Stan would argue with me when I said that. But anyway, so this is what's going to happen. Because this boat is about to dock, ladies and gentlemen. And I will tell you about it, and then you can actually go to jimcornett.com by the time you hear this. And on the front page is a banner, and you can click on it, and it's all the written information and pictures of everything. But Brian, you know me. I'm a collector, and I've got the OCD, so I like things just a certain way. And you love box sets and collector's items. And we, I said this was the biggest 
project that Cornet's Collectibles has undertaken, and that's uh, not even close, actually, at this point. What we are doing is a 40th anniversary box set of all four of us. Not only for the first time midnight, but first time all four of us. Randy, Norvell. Oh, oh quit. Sorry, sorry. Quit. <clears throat> I, couldn't, I couldn't find Norvell to get him to sign the contract. <laughs> but Bobby, Dennis, Stan, and myself, the midnight are all in their matching reunion gear that we got made 20 years ago. I am a completely different design than any of my previous single figures. And it's in a display box that you can set on your shelf that is illustrated with photos from various points in our careers with holding championship gold and etc. It also is going to come with an exclusive new book because we, we didn't redo the scrapbook, but we took information from the scrapbook, updated it, because that's now 15 years old, and we've done the pictures better because of the advanced printing techniques, so it's a 28-page book of milestones of our careers with all of the major information on the big gates and crowds, the contract problems, the championships won, the dates and places and things, including, as I said, after our careers and updated to the present day, it's dedicated to Bobby's memory. And you're going to get that in the package. There's also our reunion photo of all four of us that myself and Dennis and Stan have signed personally and that I will be personalizing to whoever buys the package. And there's actually, I'll tip you off to this, there's about a hundred that will get all four of our autographs on a picture because I had a hundred reunion pictures that Bobby had signed too that I'd put back for a future project. And obviously we haven't done one since then. Um, and you're also going to get a certificate of authenticity indicating that this is one of 2,000 of these box sets. They're not going to be sold anywhere else except jimcornet.com. They're made exclusively for me by Figures Toys. And once these are gone, we ain't going to make any more. We're not going to make any more of these, and we're not going to make any more multi-four-pack with different designs because I'm 62 this year, and I'm not looking to put six figures of investment in any more multi-year projects where I have to put up a lot of money and, and wait for two years. My boat may have sailed before that ship comes in. So this is going to be, this big set is limited to 2,000, and there ain't going to be no more of these. Um, and what we're going to do, because... In the past, obviously, I think there's going to be interest in this. And even now, even with the feather bottoms, in the past, when we put something on sale, immediately we have been slammed and people wait. And I know Christmas is coming up. People have to wait to get their shit for a long time. So we are taking a page from the toy world. Now that we're grown up, boys, and, and Hotchkiss has got me all these 
fancy damn things on the computer to keep track of the inventory, we're going to do a pre-order of this collector's set independent of the rest of the merchandise at jimcornette.com. You can order that at any point in time. But if you want to pre-order these sets, because there's only going to be 2,000, and we don't know what the appetite will be, we don't know whether it'll be a sellout in one day or whether I'll still have them in six months. I hope it's closer to the first than the second. But the pre-orders will have the inventory in there, so we can't sell more than we've got. And when you pre-order this set, you lock yours in, and I will start personalizing the photos, and the feather bottoms will start packing the merchandise so that by the time that the general on sale comes the first weekend of October, we will be able to start shipping all these things out that week. The first two weeks of October, we should be able to ship most of the, I don't know how many there's going to be, but many or a good majority of the pre-orders. So we're going to get them started that way. Does that make sense, Brian, what I just said? I think so. I think it makes lots of sense. I think lots of people are probably excited right now. And again, it's a new era for the Midnight Express. New feuds. Midnight Express versus G.I. Joe <laughs> versus He-Man. Dare I say the Thundercats. So a new just, era. Just don't don't book them against those daggum Vikings that I had when I was, because those Vikings were like four inches taller than all the other fucking figures. Which and, Vikings? I don't know which ones you're talking oh, about. Oh, the Vikings that had, came with the horse? I'll, I'll send you a picture. I have my, my Viking horsey up on my shelf. The horse even had armor. You could put armor on the horse. That may be my next product in two years. I'll come out with a, an armored horse. <laughs> Viking cornet? But, but anyway, so, so that's the deal as far as what the products are. It's a beautiful box. We've, we've spent a lot of time on the design on this. The, the booklet was printed on heavy, full-color, slick paper. The pictures came out beautiful. You know, and we want this to be something special. And as I said, Bobby, his his, his kids and, and grandkids, as well as Dennis and Stan, and Dennis and Stan's wives, and myself and Stacy, will share equally in the profits from this, over and above the cost of the product. And that's something that, you know, a lot of the guys... You know, I mean, a lot of the guys are going and doing fan fests and things and, and selling their merchandise, but a lot of them are on guarantees and they use agents or whatever. The guys that got screwed from the previous generation that didn't get into these multi-million dollar video games and the modern era of merchandise and guaranteed contracts and et cetera, you know, they've had to do deals with middlemen to get merchandise or do legends deals or whatever. And I'm glad we were, we're able and in a position and thank you again to the listeners where we can do this. And I'm not, this is not going to be a goddamn WrestleMania payoff for anybody. I don't want to lead you to believe that, but I'm not trying to give you any more of a sob story. And I've already given you to begin with, but for this amount of money that potentially we can generate, it means something to these guys. I'm not, I'll be happy if I break even. I'm not sure I would have done this amount of work and this amount of stress for for just for my part in this, except for the chance to give the Midnight Express fans one more, you know, big deal that they haven't gotten before and to make sure that, that Dennis and Stan and now Bobby's kids have, you know, 
a little bit of something to re remember the fans by, if nothing else. Anyway, so it's not a GoFundMe. It's a chance to show your appreciation to these guys that didn't get in on the on the big checks and at the same time receive not only equal value, but let's face it, we don't do any more of these four packs. These these things are going to be resold on eBay at some point later on. So I think you'll probably be able to get your money back or turn a small profit eventually. And if you go to jimcornett.com right now, then as I said, you'll see the banner on the front page. You can go to the listing that has all the information on everything you get. And the pre-orders will begin at jimcornett.com Saturday, September 2nd at noon Eastern time. If you jump in then, we're going to, I will keep you posted on how these sales are going on the podcast. I have no idea, folks. I would hope everybody that wants it gets in early. But then the pre-orders will be up for the month of September. And then our Christmas season officially begins the first weekend of October. More on that later on, where if there are any left of these, they will go on sale generally. And we will be filling the pre-orders by the first two weeks of October. We got a whole battle plan for this one. Are you snapping your fingers? I was actually, I was putting my, putting my pen back in the thing. And then I actually, I think I did that too. I was, we're snappy, snappy service. <laughs> we're copying the McDonald's snappy service um, patent. All right. That's any questions, Brian. Uh, no questions. Very exciting project. A lot of people, like you said, wrestling figures are maybe bigger now than ever before because you don't just have people becoming fans and buying figures of people being marketed for kids. You have people like me who grew up in the era where the wrestling figures were introduced. We've had them our entire lives. Now you start seeing stuff with the guys who never got the merchandise. Really cool project to finally have Midnight Express figures. Well, and you know, here's Official the Official Midnight Express figures. Well, thank you. And and here's the, there, there's, some people have tried to make their own from what I've seen on the internet a time or two, and that, that won't fly, but they can't do it in this quantity because the, the 2004 packs is 8,000 figures. And these things are some, some either small Chinese children or old Chinese women with a very tiny paintbrush have to hate me and all my friends at this point. But anyway, what I was going to say was it, some guys that were huge stars in the business at that time, just because of where they were or weren't either didn't get figures or didn't get that many fat. Think of a Tully Blanchard. I've, I've seen one figure of him in a four pack of the horsemen after he was inducted or they were all inducted in the hall of fame. Yeah. And I would bet you that even though they sold that in Walmart, Tully didn't immediately retire and buy beachfront property and fucking Rio de Janeiro off of that figure. And when you think about it, not to be, disrespectful but just considering relative standing in the wrestling in the tito santana has had more figures than the midnight express well that's true of course there was the original yes. ljn then he joined strike force and it was another one and then he became yes. el matador there was another yes. figure and there was a mattel one about a decade ago or so yes ariba ariba he might have got the beachfront property yeah but that was from paul alperstein <laughs> Thank you. I'll be here all week. The AWF champion, Tito Santana. 
You'll be there all week, but Paul wasn't. <laughs> he went out of business after one taping, didn't he? No, it was a few tapings, and it was a bizarre... I shouldn't say bizarre. It was just a puzzling way of doing these tapings. They paid the audience, I think, to be there. They paid a 1,000 people $50 each to come in and be a raving, involved audience for hours and hours of bad wrestling on TV. Yeah, of squash matches with guys who were better known in the 80s. Not even like them against each other, them against nobodies. And it was a weird setting because the fans were just fake reacting to everything. And it was the world's first ever negative $50,000 house. <laughs> I guess that is true. That that's a, that's immediately, that's the first thing. They paid a thousand people $50 because this was 30 years ago when you didn't have to really pay people to come to wrestling. You were starting to be that way, but all right. But now that we've run everybody out in the yard with that, uh, hopefully good news all around at the end of it. Let's go to some more news, period. I don't know whether it's good, bad, or indifferent, but Lufisto made accusations am i am i phrasing this right lufisto made accusations on a series of tweets on twitter or formerly twitter now x that indicated that all was not sunshine lollipops rainbows and waterfalls with the AEW women's locker room and the AEW women's locker room have fired back to say no no and it, that everything is all good there. And probably the truth lies somewhere maybe in between, but we're going to try to figure out pointing toward which direction. As I said earlier at the program, we're not on anybody's side. Have we ever met any of these people? I've, I've met Thunder Rosa a few times. Well, Dustin uh, well, Rhodes is involved. Well, oh, I forgot about Dustin's involved, but he's not in the women's locker room, at least as far as we know. Hi, um, I'm the new woman wrestler here. I'll be in the, I'll be in the corner. No, he's not, he's not in the women's locker room, no. It's Jethro Bodine's cousin, Jethreen. It's Dustin and Dustreen. Um, but anyway, I've, we've never met Lufisto. We don't know these people, but they have widely varying views of the atmosphere over there. Brian, can you add any context or chronological order to this conflict i can try and there's a lot going on and it is because I, I will say one thing we don't know if lufisto is the is the soul of honesty but we know she is not the soul of brevity there was a lot to unpack in the series of tweets well i think we have to to start it go back a step there's been so much talk about the women's division in aew about some people think tony not using them right not using them enough they're not used enough on these two-hour shows there are people that think the women's division doesn't seem to be getting better. And then some of those people will point to, well, they're not used enough. But there's been a series of issues. How is, how is, how is more poisonous food better? And a lot of these issues came up, what was it, a week and a half ago or so, the Britt Baker-Talia Valkyrie match on Dynamite, which completely fell apart. And it's one of a series of matches with Britt Baker where she seemed, she just didn't seem to know what to do or Things went wrong, and I hate to say it, but Taya Valkyrie too. There's not really been a shining moment in AEW so far. It's been the opposite. No. Yeah. So there's been all this talk about it. At the end of that match, there was a fan in the crowd. I think the sign was, book the women's division better or something. 
you and and you know here's the just not to derail you but real briefly Taya and Britt have been better with other people sometimes it's not even a style clash it's a an emotional clash if you're not motivated to really work with that person whether you're trying or not sometimes it doesn't come off go ahead i'm sorry so again coming out of that match and a fan holding up a sign at the end of a really bad match saying that they need to do more with the women's division. The fact that the women's division typically almost every week is the segment that drives off viewers from AEW TV. It's not even fair to compare the AEW women's division to the WWE women's division. Not that everyone there is great, but it's just no comparison. So in the midst of all of that, Lufisto, who's been a women's wrestler on the indies for a number of years, I'm not too familiar with her work. I know she's in one of the indie hall of fames. So she's been out there for a while. Oh, she, it's uh, like 20 years, I think. She tweeted out, coming out of that Britt Baker, Taya Valkyrie, man. Britt Baker. Britt Baker, Britt, Taya. Britt, Britt, Britt Baker? Britt, Britt Baker. Baker. Hello, Kevin Sullivan. Britt Baker. Britt Baker, Taya Valkyrie match. Uh, here's what Lou Fisto tweeted out. It's cute how people blame booking for a bad women's division. Talent with too much power. Talent denigrating each other. Talent trash-talking potential employees so they never get in as soon as they walk in. It starts here. And then she signed it. The one you called effing French-Canadian asshole. <laughs> Apparently she had worked previously a dark match for AW. In now, to be, to be perfectly fair, there are many French-Canadian assholes. I bet even the French-Canadian people know a bunch of them. Well, actually, I believe... It later came out. She did a long interview with Sean Ross Sapp of Fightful, and the text is up there. I tried to watch the video. It went long, so I tapped out. But I think she says Dustin Rhodes said that to her, but he blamed it on hating French Canadians due to being around Jacques Rougeau. <laughs> and I'm not even joking. I believe that was the explanation. <laughs> now do you understand it a little better, the comments? <laughs> Thank you, I needed that. <laughs> uh, well, of course, then, obviously, everybody understands where he's coming from. Now, we love you, Jacques. You're, you're, Jacques is an endearing asshole. He's, he was one of the French Canadians with personality that's also an asshole. I always thought smarmy Jacques Rougeau was such an effective heel. Yes. But uh, I have an article here. This is from WrestleTalk. So they're saying, Lufisto worked one show for AEW. That being an AEW Dark Elevation taping in April 2022, where she teamed with Emi Sakura and The Bunny in a loss to Anna Jay, Ruby Soho, and Sky Blue. God, I wonder how many stars that one got. So after her tweet, Sean Ross Sapp was asked to comment on it. Yes, there is truth to it. There's somebody that tried to hold her, Lufisto, down, that trash talked about her. There's a lot of trash talking within that locker room. It's something that I've constantly heard about over the last couple of years. I can't point fingers and say who. A lot of people pointed the finger at Britt Baker and said, you talk trash about Thunder Rosa. Listen, there's a lot of it that goes on there. I will say this about Britt. Britt experienced some stuff that nobody should ever have to go through, and I understand why she's got her guard up in that sense. Well, wait, hold it. 
pump the brakes. I don't what? know. I, before you even ask, I have no idea what was that's she referencing. A, a fucking uh, encapsulated in a, a prisoner of war camp? What is she? Uh, Maybe she was worried about getting a shoot drop kick to the back of the head. But well, more on that later. But but no. But I mean, she's she's a dentist. She appears to have graduated from a an institution of higher learning. She's a highly paid professional wrestler on television. I'm sure she had to pay her dues and take a lot of bumps in small buildings, but has she been somehow drug across broken glass that we're not aware of that something in her that she's had to overcome? Why so cryptic? I don't know. And I should point out here because I just saw it this past week. Britt Baker announced that she's cut back on her dentistry work. She's focusing more on the wrestling now, less on the dentistry. She said that that's Something that can make your body, your neck and back as sore as wrestling. Yes, and then she's still got to decide by next year whether she wants to continue as a double-knot spy. Well, let me continue on here with Sean Ross Sapp. But the Lufisto thing, Lufisto, among people that work with her and have worked with her, she just holds some of the highest respect. And there was a not-so-good situation that I am of the belief emerged from a ton of miscommunication that didn't help her out when she came in there. Because it was supposed to be for a lot more than what she was brought in and ended up doing. At least as it was relayed to me and relayed to her, and I mean this from the April show last year where she worked dark. Uh, me, Who is writing this, by the way? Well, th this is actually, it's a transcription of Sean Ross Sapp's. Oh, okay. I was going to if somebody was writing this, they're trying not only to torture, but to mutilate the syntax. They were talking to her, according to Lou Fisto, and according to what Sean Ross Sapp reports here, that he said as he heard independent of her, they talked to her, according to her interview, by bringing her in as a coach. And I believe she said that QT Marshall said, you need blood work, and you need a COVID test. She said, I can't have any of those in time for the taping. And they said, it doesn't matter, just come anyway. <laughs> and when she got there, according to an interview she did, and again, it's on Fightful, uh, Fightful Selector, Fightful, I'm not sure, but they have the video up, the interview. She makes it sound like she got there and was immediately greeted with, why are you here? What are you doing here? <laughs> people ignoring her, people being cold to her. So it's a whole thing, but that interview came out of, let me go here, because there's so many different things that happened. Actually, first, to show you Britt Baker's response, I guess a fan, I don't know who this is, Develop a performance center for wrestlers like Britt Baker so they improve their craft. She was horrible last night, and she wants to face the Queen Charlotte Flair one day? Please laugh out loud. Please, girl. I don't know who this person is, but Britt Baker found this and replied, Sorry, sis. I couldn't hear you over those DMD chants. But bullying looks just as good on you as that heinous yellow dress. Uh, she was wearing a yellow dress, this fan who tweeted this out <laughs> in the photo. <laughs> and then there's an emoji of, I don't even know how to describe this. It's a face, but like the smile's all like up and down, like wavy, and is the person supposed to be high? I don't know what this face is, but. You know, I've got to admit, when I'm wheeling through the Twitter, every once in a while some smartass will say something that I just have to respond to, just to, you know, just to do it, but it sounds like she takes this shit as more than a, a fucking game we play. Wouldn't we want to say, I hate you? Well, coming out of all that, Ufisto had a series of tweets. 
had a one-hour phone call with a current AEW talent. The women who actually addressed the problems I did today were the ones sent home by Tony Khan. There was a meeting to shoot on Thunder Rosa that Tony Khan attended. Before leaving, he reminded them that their segments were the lowest. When some girls arranged a meeting to talk about Baker's crew, one of them ran the Brit to let her know. The girls that wanted to address the problem were the girls punished. Things didn't get better. They got worse. That, that's her, uh, I think she means worse, but yes. they got worse. The legitimate wrestlers believe Tony doesn't give a damn about women's wrestling and feel like they are going back to the Divas era. Ask me who the fuck I am. Tell me I'm irrelevant and that I'm doing this for attention. Call me a liar. Tell me to kill myself. You keep on closing your eyes and supporting human beings with shitty behavior. With the messages of support, and especially this phone call I received from the AEW employees, this nobody did the right thing. And then uh, she put up a picture of herself. See, a lot of pronouns, pal. I get confused when I don't know exactly who is on it, because apparently there's a lot of people on a lot of people's side around here. And so that, that uh, we can tell that there's strife. There's heartache by the numbers and uh, a, lot of, a lot of mean girls in the locker room. But then, again, everybody was on Thunder Rosa here a while back, and, and we were like, Jesus Christ, why are they fucking, you know, being so mean to Rosa? And what did she do? And she's proven that she really had a back injury or whatever. And then we saw this clip of her drop it in from a fucking helicopter to give Jamie Hayter brain damage. And I'm like, well, fuck, that would goddamn, that would get my attention as to somebody I'd like to have a word with. Do you, where did that come from? Was that when she was allegedly hiding in the bathroom? Again, there's so many weird stories. And, you know, now we'll talk about them in a moment. The AW women's locker room is trying to pretend like everything's just wonderful. We've heard stories in the past. We just never dig into it because it's the women's locker room. But apparently Thunder Rosa had a lot of heat. We had heard in the past that some wrestlers didn't believe she had a back injury. Other wrestlers thought it was convenient that she worked through her back injury until she was told she was going to drop the belt. And then there was a story that at one point she hid in the bathroom because of something. And some people were saying it's because of this missile shoot drop kick to the back of Jamie Hayter's head. It looks like Hater has no idea this is coming. What? No, it don't look like that. No, I can guarantee goddamn you. Here's the thing. When you had told me, did you see the clip of this drop kick? I'm thinking drop kick. There's somebody standing there and somebody else is drop kicking him. That doesn't do this justice. Apparently, Jamie Hater is covering somebody else for a, a pin cover. And suddenly into the shot from the air, like from off the ropes or somewhere, the ring lights high above, both of fucking Thunder Rosa's feet come down on the back of Jamie Hayter's fucking head and just propel her face into the goddamn mat. It looks like a America's Funniest Home Video, you know, of, of a safe falling on somebody's head. It looks like you're trying to hurt someone, whether you are or aren't, that's what it looks like. God damn it, it didn't start out that way. It, it looks like the decision was made in midair. Well, I'm either going to hurt myself or them, so fuck them. 
Because whoever was underneath that, it wasn't comfortable. Because the rest of her ass and everything fell on the goddamn both the bodies. So again, there's the issue where Thunder Rosa has had heat with the locker room. Thunder Rosa has not been around. She was last shown on Dynamite going into Tony Khan's <laughs> locker room, and we never saw her again. Wait, 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 you know what happened, though, don't you? No. I'll tell you, as soon as she went in the locker room, Tony wished her into the cornfield. <laughs> what? He's, he got mad as she was either singing or she said something that he didn't like, and he wished her into the cornfield. Well, we will. That's why we haven't seen her. Well, we will see. She's still. He could have uh, made her. A, he could have made her a jack in the box head. So at least the cornfield was more more humane. Well, after all of this controversy, Lufisto did a long interview, as I mentioned earlier, with Sean Ross Sapp at Fightful. That caused, in very short order, almost at the same time, seemingly the entirety of the women's locker room in AEW tweeting out messages. Let me go through these. And by the way, the, 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 the young girls these days, they're all texting each other, right? That's what they do on their phones. They text each and they influence each other. They become influencers. Well, it's not just young people. Everyone's texting. And I mean, well, but I mean, the, it's, it's the young girls that actually it's important to them. And they're all always texting like, we got to do this right now. This was obviously coordinated. Well, we don't know if it's it never. all happened at the same time. It wasn't like people going about their day suddenly hearing about this and deciding to comment on it. It was a a flurry of activity at a brief period of time. It was Tony saying, it's okay now, go ahead. But here uh, is Soraya on Twitter, or X. Is it still Twitter? Do we call it Twitter still? We're calling it Twitter, because that's what it is. The narrative going around is very... It's, a, dir it's a dirty whore is what it is. Now, he's just ruined the whole neighborhood, but we're going to call it Twitter. Yeah, it's not even retweets anymore. Anytime you go to retweet something, it now says repost. So they took that out. But anyway, here's Soraya. We're tied to the whipping post. The narrative going around is very disheartening, considering someone says that they want the best for women's wrestling, but buries it in a number of tweets. I will say, being in this company close to a year, my favorite part is being with the girls in the locker room. They uplift, support, and laugh with each other every week and only want the best for one another. We hype each other up. We buy each other wrestling gear sometimes just as a little surprise. We text each other daily and we are there <laughs> as a shoulder too. This is one of the best locker rooms I've been in and I refuse to let people twist it to be otherwise. Love you all with a little heart emoji, so there's Soraya. Any comments from Hornetta? I thought it was Soraya. It's one or the other. Is it, is it Soraya or Soraya? Well, you say tomato and I say floozy. Well, it, it certainly sounds like that, that she has an opposing viewpoint of Lufisto's. But certainly there's, there's got to be some conflicting emotions. Certainly one of the other girls has admitted there's problems. That previous tweet from Soraya was 9.10 p.m. 9.22 p.m., Madison Rain. Madison Rain's a coach there, right? Did Madison Rain get the job that Lufisto thought she was getting? Possibly. She is a coach, I believe. But timeline-wise, I think that's... It was last year, but anyway. Madison Rain. Every Wednesday, I leave my daughter and husband and get on a plane. Every Wednesday, I fly somewhere hundreds of miles away from my dad who is battling stage four cancer. And every Wednesday, I walk into a locker room of women who motivate, uplift, and genuinely enjoy one another. 
with an emoji of a fist and 100. So she's all in. Now here's Renee Moxley Good. Renee Moxley Good? What time was this? This was 8.59 p.m., so before Soraya. We have an incredible women's division that all look out for and support each other. I've never seen it be anything other than a safe space for a bunch of kick-ass women that all want to see each other and all of AEW shine to their full potential. If they're kick-ass women, why do they need a safe space? Women hating women is a real dusty take. (laughs) What does Dusty have to do with this? He didn't even book most of the women. Yeah, I don't know if she knew Dusty, but let's uh, go to the next one here. Nyla Rose on Twitter. This is 9.27 p.m. One person's personal experience is not A, the gospel truth, B, facts, or C, anything but one perspective influenced by personal experience and interaction. I'm sad, hurt, annoyed, angry, and honestly a little betrayed. Funny thing is, it's not by a single woman in our locker room. Well, that was actually pretty profound. Very good job there from Nyla Rose. Yeah, but everybody likes to beat around the bush. I don't know whether that was a simile I should have used in this. Not in that locker room. But not in that, not locker, in that room. locker room. But it, but they're beating around it because nobody would just come out and say, "Hey, this girl named Lufisto, she's full of shit, and here's why." They're just they're being flowery about it. Eight forty-six p.m. Tie of Valkyrie. The narrative that all the AEW women hate each other is quite frankly annoying. I've been there for five months, and everyone, from the second I walked in that building, has been nothing but supportive, hyping each other up, and badass. 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 Stop pinning women against each other. It's getting old. And then uh, someone responded, Thunder Rosa received a lot of bullying. You don't have the need to speak for others. And Taya Valkyrie responded to that. Where did I say I was speaking for others, laugh out loud? I'm speaking on my experience. If you, and in caps, the entire IWC can express how they feel. What does the International Wrestling Cartel have to do with this? I'm pretty sure I can express mine. Penelope Ford. Jump Hello to Norm Connors, by the way. 8.56 p.m. Penelope Ford. Someone tweeted out, we don't need Bully Bunny, but we definitely need Penelope back. Bully Bunny. Penelope said, my best friend is far from being a bully. Wait a minute, I thought thought the bunny and Penelope used to fight each other. Am I thinking of two other bunnies and Penelopes? No, they're on the same team. I think they're aligned together. Well, I, I haven't checked to see if they got their alignment done lately. After that, Lufisto jumped into the fray. Good that everyone at AEW got the memo to write as much shit on me as possible so I could be seen in, so I can be in seen as a waste of a human being not worth living, especially people who have never had a single conversation with me. Even better to see people I never did anything wrong being so desperate to get a job jumping on the bandwagon. Soon I'll see you hypocrites be part of a be a star and mental health matters advertisements acting like you care. Enjoy your paychecks, and keep on stabbing each other in the back pretending this is normal. (laughs) I can only hope that your hate towards me will get you to finally fucking work together 
for the best of women's wrestling now that problems have been called out. So many are miserable, frustrated, and will whisper their anger, but never will stand and speak up. I wanted to leave this world knowing women's wrestling was better. It was for a while, but not anymore. The sad part is, you accept it without saying a word. It is what it is. What a waste. You know, if somebody was that motivated to cure world hunger, we might get somewhere. She's pissed off. Last night, 10.05 p.m., someone tweeted to Britt Baker, You deadass the last person that should be saying anything. And Britt Baker responded, And why is that? Because what you read on Twitter must be true? I love AEW, and I love our women's locker room. Big Swole, we haven't heard from her in a while. I don't understand this one at all. At 10.07 p.m. Now, wait a minute. She was mad. She said, hey, Tony smoked my weed, and I thought we were friends, and then he fired me. Well, at 10.07 p.m., she tweeted out an image of Princess Diana smirking, I believe from her Martin Bashir interview, and it says, the chicken is lovely. (sighs) I guess she's just enjoying the show. Soraya's back, 10.20 p.m. Also, Ruby is an angel who is adored by everyone. I'm so grateful for her. I thought she was a heel who was pissing people off. Well, they're on the same side, at least. I'm so grateful for her and Tony Storm. Uh, Then someone at 10.25 tweeted to Britt Baker, And Thunder Rosa, are the claims that you wanted to shoot on her true? Is Lufisto lying about that? Is what she said true or false? Britt Baker says, or Dr. Britt Baker, DMD, false. Thunder called the meeting to discuss multiple personal issues. There was no meeting to shoot on her. These are salacious Twitter rumors. I'm sure when she's ready, she can help clarify. Now let's take a break there for a second. Well, yeah, I think somebody is, because of... (laughs) It was worded in an unwieldy fashion, and then fans are thinking, shoot, shoot, they're going to beat her up. I think they're talking, shoot, tell her off in a, some meeting where they were going to shoot right with her and tell her off, or she was going to tell them. Somebody was going to get told to fuck off. Now, Jamie Hayter may have shot on her. Jamie Hayter, yeah, kick. after that fucking <laughs> drop kick to the back of the head. That would have, again, that would have lit anybody up. No, but to what Britt Baker just said, you know, everyone... Unfortunately, right now, everyone just runs with assumptions about whatever's going on there. Thunder Rosa, in the midst of all this, hasn't said anything. It would probably help in this matter if she did come out and say something, but... I don't know if, I don't know if anything could be helped by any of these people speaking anymore, but I'm here for the entertainment. Go ahead. Well, a little earlier in the evening, 8.51 p.m., let's go back in the time machine, responding to Ty of Valkyrie, Tynara Mello Guevara, better known as Ty Mello... Ty Mello Conti? All of this with four claps and a smiley face. I believe that's Wait, equal man. to five stars on Dave's uh, scale there. I thought it was two claps and a Ric Flair. I never saw a group like ours. It makes me mad that people try to say shit. They don't know anything about it. Keep talking because we will keep working hard and shining. Ruby Soho issued a statement. 11.13 p.m. And that's actually what she wrote. My only statement... And here's what it is. The women in the AEW locker room don't just claim to be in support of women's wrestling. They show it. 
whether you see it or not. The ones who don't ask for credit after they stand in gorilla and cheer for two women who beat each other up to a pulp for your amusement? The ones who lend an enhancement talent their knee pads because they forgot theirs at home? Oh. The ones who sit in the locker room with a sobbing peer for an hour to console her when she's having a bad day? Those women are silent heroes. Have you ever wanted to console a friend that was sobbing because he was having a bad day, Brian? You know, when I was in summer camp, one of my friends got really fucked up playing bloody knuckles uh, and his knuckles were all bloody. And I remember he was sobbing for a while and I felt bad. I, felt, I did. But anyway, back to this. Did you want to sit with him for an hour and hear him talk about it? No, I kind of wanted to cheer him up so we want to have fun with everyone else. But let's go back to this. Just because the voices you hear are the loudest doesn't mean those voices are speaking the truth. And then... I don't know who this is. Harley Cameron. Oh, that's the blonde from QT's group. That's QTV girl. Well, 11.06 p.m., she jumped in. As one of the newest women on the AEW roster, I have been welcomed, encouraged, inspired by my entire locker room and the entire company. I love going to work every week. You know, what's really disturbing, from, from 9 o'clock until after 11 at night, these people are not in their homes, watching television, playing with a dog, reading a good book, blissfully asleep. They're on fucking Twitter because they had to be reading about this shit in order to fucking write about it. Well, again, though, I know it's Twitter and it's easy to look down on it just because of that. But if there's a locker room issue and let's say there's 15 women who are in that locker room every single week, all year, and that is how clicks form. I'm not saying there's not a Britt Baker click. I'd be surprised if there weren't. Every wrestling locker room ever yeah. had clicks. That's what happens. Yeah. So it's probably hard to walk in and people think you're going to be a coach and they're like, what the fuck? Like, who? <laughs> so who knows what's going on with this? That's the point of it. So you could understand Lufisto's perspective. Outside of whatever the Thunder Rosa issue is, you could also understand the rest of the locker room's perspective, having someone who's an outsider come and say these things. Here's, once again, Penelope Ford. Responding to the Ruby Soho statement with an emoji with crying, a crying face, real tears. These women were here for me when I had a miscarriage, and that information was shared in our locker room and never left our locker room. My husband and I told our story when we were ready. If all of this isn't a supportive locker room, then I don't know what is. And that's what I mean. There's a difference between... Lufisto and these and all the women in the locker room could both be right at the same time because yeah. of different perspectives. I just miss the old days where if people didn't like each other in the locker room, they just hit each other with something and had a big fight and got over it or quit or whatever instead of goddamn whining about it like everybody else cares about. There, there are people with fucking family members and goddamn on an iron lung. I don't think they care whether the fucking women's locker room is fighting with each other or not. Oh, lordy, lordy, the twister's coming. Well, here's another tweet. This is, uh, I'm assuming this is an independent wrestler. I'm not too familiar with him. Judas Judd Cassidy. Remem oh, Judas Judd Cassidy. Remem he's, he's, uh, he's, I think he's Sean and David Cassidy's little brother. The last emission of Shirley Jones and, and Jack Cassidy. The Judas of the family? Yeah. Interesting. Well, there's your new gimmick, Judas Judd. But here's uh, what he said. Remember Daphne? Remember Hana Kimura? The AEW locker room all tweeting at the same time is fucking disgusting. 
Ganging up on Lufisto for her to look bad only because she told her story is not okay. I don't want to lose her. Please don't let history repeat itself. And, you know, unfortunately, that is one of the things about social media. You know, if you go out there and you say, we see it all the time, you go out there and you say something bad about something as simple as the wrestling or the wrestlers that some people like, that's when you start hearing, go kill yourself, you're a piece of shit, you're worthless, fuck your family. And unfortunately for Lufisto coming out there talking about what her truth is, we assume, with the AEW locker room, that gets this feedback, not just from the women wrestlers all doing this at the same time, but I'm sure she's hearing it from the fans. Well, but at the same time, a lot of people tell me that I'm just a horrible fucking human being, that I should be burned alive at the stake or shot into space on a fucking rocket. And I basically tell them, well, I'm sorry, but I've got to fucking disagree with your ass. <laughs> I don't think that at all. So fuck you. So I think if she, if she wanted to tell all these people what she thought of them, she has done that. And she doesn't need to listen to anybody else saying, well, fuck you. Well, fuck you. So we're even. You fuck me and I'm fucking you. Well, finally, here's uh, the last one we'll go through. This is from 9.07 p.m. last night. The world champion Maxwell Jacob Friedman, trademark. Wait a minute now. I didn't know he was allowed to dress in the women's locker room. This makes so much sense. Uh, Chris Statlander and Britt Baker, DMD, both like this tweet, apparently. If you listen to miserable people who never made it in this sport, that's not exactly the brightest thing to do. Use your brain. If someone's been in professional wrestling for over a decade, and you find them to be talented but they've never truly panned out, there's a reason for it. One, lack of talent. Two, difficulty to work with. Three, delusional. <laughs> Just to name a few. People love to talk ill of companies and will say things like, I'm the only person who's brave enough to speak up. When in reality, the only reason you're spewing bullshit is because you are aware deep down you aren't going to make it. So what's the harm in spewing reckless lies and trying to hurt hardworking, talented people on your way down to obscurity? We have an amazing women's locker room. Sorry, not sorry. The boys got away with words. And also, does he have the special super-duper Twitter? Because that sounded like a whole lot longer than 240 characters or hey, whatever. did you guys see this tweet? It sounds like that Maxine who keeps showing up in the locker room every week. <laughs> I thought something was off about her and her beard. So, want to get to the women's division in general, but just to sum up this, I don't even know how you, what you say about this, we never really see something like this where you know, like a former football player says, like, that team sucks and everyone jumps on Twitter within an hour and is like, fuck you! Like, we never see that. What do you think of this? Would any of these women have done this around the same time if Tony hadn't given the okay? Should they be doing this? And, I mean, what are your general thoughts to wrap up this whole Lufisto thing? Well, it may very well be her experience, as you said, and all of those things can be true. So not saying she was a liar. She thinks that a lot of them are bitches. But when, and, and I don't even know if Tony played any part in this. I think at, at whatever time that these tweets from Lufisto or the interview was aired or the interview that they actually saw it and started texting each other. That's probably what they all, one of them probably saw it. And here we go. Well, I'll text Sue and I'll text, you know, whatever. 
and then they all jump on it, that to me shows either there's an element of truth in what Lufisto was saying relate, relating to her, and they wanted to jump on that, like, no, there's not, because they're too defensive, or there's just an element of truth to something in there that they wanted to jump on because they sure got really fucking defensive and a whole group of them. So maybe she struck a nerve with something that she said. So I, you know, I mean, does anybody really think that any of those people would give a fuck to ask Tony Khan first before they make veiled references to people they're not naming they don't ask tony khan the important shit like should i actually have a fucking good match or not or what should i do in the match you're telling me to have i don't think there's any way they go on twitter without tony's permission not right now I, I, maybe a I couple think, years ago but not right now i, I think, think they so. were sitting there on their couches at home and their snuggly blankies eating bonbons and they all got started texting each other because they're all the 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 in the social media influencers. And they said, well, we'll just fucking shut this woman down. And it just, it again, it sounds, I don't know why MJF had to jump in unless he's trying to get laid. Then I understand, actually, that's Smart probably move. now that I've, I've really, I've just realized what he did here. He's the only guy that would possibly give a shit about what's going on in the women's locker room, but he's doing it particularly from a, this will make every single one of them want to blow me fucking standpoint. Well, we don't know about that, but let's talk about another issue. Because again, we can only talk so far about the Lufisto women's locker room Thunder Rosa stuff because we don't know everything. But the bigger issue, which is the state of the women's division there, WWE has top flight women who are amongst the top flight wrestlers in the entire industry. Rhea Ripley's as good as anyone in the business. Bianca Belair, Charlotte, they're excellent. There are other people at that level, and it seems like they may be able to train other people to get there one day. They also have a lot of people that aren't at that level, but I don't know if they have too many people on the main roster other than maybe a Maxine Dupree that are as bad as so many of the women wrestlers we've seen in AEW. From Britt Baker on down. We never really got to see what Jade could do and couldn't do because she lost the match and disappeared, and she only worked short squash matches mostly before then. Thunder Rosa could work. She's got heat with everyone. Hater can work. Hater's out of action. Mo most of the women that can work are on the smaller, thinner, or plainer side in terms of personality or whatever. And the the women that look like something, stars, names, have some other attributes, are basically deer on ice. So you have some women there who are not ready for TV, but they're on TV. And that doesn't seem to be a problem that's going to be fixed. It just seems to be something they expand into. So you have that. But then the other problem is, while fans are holding up signs, or one fan holding up a sign, book the women better, and you hear from some people online, which is a small audience, saying, more women's matches, we want more of them. I said it from the beginning, why did AEW have a women's division? It shouldn't be an arbitrary thing like, okay, we're starting up, we need a women's division. Early on, they said they were going to pay the women the same as the men. I don't know if that's still the case, but the people that think that it should be 50-50, you have to give them the same amount of time on the show as the men, they lose the viewers, those segments. Yeah. It's not just because of the bad booking. Well, and let's not just signal out or single out AEW, every company now. It's like they're constitutionally obligated to have a women's division. 
and especially for smaller companies, not only with smaller talent budgets, you might be able to afford one star for the money you pay eight indie girls. Um, but also, that's what you're getting is because there's not as many talented women as there are talented guys. That's just a fact. Can't change that. And as a result, the bigger companies get all the the women that really have the, the talent, and the smaller companies just have women that have been trained to wrestle. And the reason why that the WWE, their women's division is more solid than the AEW division is because they've grown their own, they've trained them. That's the one place where the performance center has really shined because it takes longer and more effort and more instruction to train for whatever reason women to really be good than it does guys now of course there's tons more guys trying so you naturally weed out a lot of the fucking guys that can't get it to begin with early on but that's just the fact the fact is there's not as many good girls as guys it's harder to train a girl to be good than it is a guy and the bigger companies are going to have a disproportionate amount of the most talented girls leaving the smaller companies with eh, indies. And that's what AEW got because of who was advising Tony from the start. They got mostly all indie girls and still most of them have come from the indies. They've never been through a comprehensive and repetitious training program like the Performance Center. And then they've got a couple of ex-WWF names, and let's face it, you know, Soraya was retired for five years or whatever and wasn't really Mildred Burke to begin with, and Ruby ain't bad, but, you know, in, in with some of these girls she is. Like you said, Jamie Hayter's good, and... You know, and Statlander has potential. And, and Statlander, you know, from the Indies, but she's got the size and she's looked good, but she's been derailed a year and a half of the past two years with injuries. But yeah, that's what that comes from, is if AEW, the number two company, can't get a solid women's roster up and down the roster, then how are Ring of Honor or MLW or Impact or whatever, they're not. And that's what everybody's gone crazy. And they think that it's a service to women's wrestling to have a 50% of the time be to the, with the women and the women's matches. It's, it's a service to the women that are getting jobs. It's not a service to women's wrestling because then you see more bad women's wrestling. And it's not a service to the fans because then they're seeing more bad women's wrestling. And that's what I've said from the start. It's an attraction. And you get the three or four top girls and then you fucking rotate around them. And after a few years, you get more top girls, but you don't have, it can't be 50-50 because 90% of the top talent in the ring is male and 10% of the women. But if you have it 50-50, you're losing 40% of the guys that are better than 40% of the girls. If you see my, and that's Steiner math for you. Well, that is the question. Those women's segments, the one that lose viewers at the end of the show, typically the same spot in the show every week. 
do those segments, would a segment with someone from the mid card, with the Hardy brothers or something, would that do as good or better? Because if it's automatically going to do worse and you're jamming that amount on your show, people are asking you to jam more of it. There has to at some point be a reason for it other than, you know, it's an arbitrary thing. Okay, let's do it. If, I mean, on the, the, the girls match that does usually lose viewers on dynamite is part of a reflection of the show. Cause you, they see so much and they realize they're not going to see a lot more that they really want to see. And then they put the girls match on and it kind of, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy, but on collision or on SmackDown or on whatever show that actually doesn't hemorrhage viewers through the course of it. If you've got a Statlander or you've got a Charlotte or you've got a Ripley or you've got a, any quality girl that you want to make a star. And there's so many, as you said, in WWE, Bianca and on and on. And you put them in a good match that doesn't overstay its welcome and they get a good win, that's not going to fucking lose viewers. It's when you put random and you concentrate on one or two or three that are on the show all the time and the other girls are the ones that are putting them over. And people just don't see a random girls tag or girls match with girls from YouTube or girls from dark or girls that we see every once in a while. Or if it's the goddamn, the outsiders thing, you had three girls all wearing green with green hair, spray paint and other people green and everybody was running in and that many people involved. That's another excuse to tune out the marks like, you know, that are on spectrums of things like Russo and Tony Khan they think that means people will have to watch. But to wrestling fans, it means here's eight or nine miscellaneous girls running around and running in and painting people, and we don't give a fuck. Because it's goddamn just chaos. So if it's focused, you can have, and you and you have a disciplined concept of the girls you want to get over and the girls that you want to use to put them over, then it doesn't have to be a tune-out segment. But just random shit with any one of 20 fucking people, that's the segment that everybody thinks, well, we can skip this. Well, we'll see what happens, and we'll stay on top of this wonderful story, the AEW Women's Division drama. And uh, where are we going? It's your show. It's my show? Thank God. Well, before we move on, we got we to gotta jump back to last week. We got to wrap up a loose end from the drive-thru. We did not have the Dynamite ratings. For last Wednesday, we re we reviewed that program. Boy, howdy, did we! And but we didn't know how many people watched it. And my my thought was, if 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 there was any justice in the world, this program would get the first ever rating of seven, as in seven fucking people, because this thing stunk. But the AEW fans know that going in, there is a a high percentage of the AEW fan that knows and expects and is looking forward to having a big whiff of shit. And there's a lot of people looking forward to seeing what's going on with MJF and Adam Cole, but this week's AEW Dynamite, August 2nd, Wednesday night on TBS, was watched on average by 894,000 viewers. Okay, so again, 
they're in their sweet spot. They didn't do as good as Blood and Guts, but they didn't do as bad as they did the week before, I believe, Blood and Guts. It's in the mid-800 and something again. That's right. And these numbers were compiled by WrestleNomics. Thurston Howell III. Uh, that's almost his name. Quarter Big one. Financial wizard. Quarter one, 8 to 8, 15 p.m. Chris Jericho and Takeshita. Take a shit. Versus Daniel Garcia and Sammy Guevara with picture-in-picture ads. 919,000 viewers. Well, that ain't bad. And now if you are telling me that the overall was 894,000, they're going to have to go up from here, which is unusual to get, uh, because I know they're going to go down somewhere. So where do we go from here? We go to quarter two, 8.15, 8.30 p.m. The finish of the previous tag match, a video... An ad break, Jericho being confronted by Matt Menard backstage, Jack Perry being confronted by Jerry Lynn and Rob Van Dam, and Hikaru Shida's backstage promo, 903,000 viewers. Well, that's pretty much normal fluctuation when you get to those numbers, 16,000, but I don't see how we're going to get to 894 unless something happens to bring these people into the tent. Quarter three. Trent Beretta versus John Moxley versus Penta El Zero Miedo with picture-in-picture ads. Certainly to God it can't be this. 917,000 viewers. Okay, they basically went back to where they were in quarter one. Okay. Quarter four, 8.45 to 9 p.m. The finish of the previous mentioned match. The post-match with Blackpool Combat Club, Best Friends. Oh, that's it. Blackpool Combat Club and the Best Friends. An ad break, RVD's backstage promo, and the beginning of MJF's promo, 945,000 viewers. Okay, so that's uh, 28,000, and one would have to think that, uh, I don't know if the ad break or the promo did it, I think they're, they're, they're tuning in for MJF. Well, the big 9 o'clock hour, quarter 5, 9 to 9.15 p.m., the MJF and Adam Cole live promo. Roderick Strong's temper tantrum backstage. <laughs> that was funny. The Kingdom confronting Roderick Strong or talking to him. Jay Lethal, Jeff Jarrett, and Satnam Singh versus Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks with picture in picture. 964,000 viewers. And also, this segment was the high point for the key demo 441,000 viewers. And one would have to, and that's the high point for the show so far. And yes, one is. would have to credit that with MJF and Adam Cole, or I guess they're the new Rocca and Perez. They're doing it on every show. They pop the number on Collision. They're doing it. And they're doing it with the key demo, too. Segment 6, 9.15 and 9.30 p.m. The last four minutes of Lethal Jared and Singh versus Omega and the Bucks. Oh, boy. The Kenny Omega and Adam Page live promo. <laughs> And that then, was a thriller. And then Swerve Strickland and A.R. Fox breaking multiple laws and attacking Nick Wayne at his home. <laughs> Plus an ad break. 863,000 viewers. Wow! Thank you, Elite. The highly paid, recently re-signed Elite loses 101,000 viewers in 15 minutes. Boy, there's something there. But quarter 7, 9.30 to 9.45 p.m., 
Aussie Open versus El Hijo del Vikingo and Commander with picture in picture and an ad break. 835,000 viewers. I was about to say, I didn't think they were going to come back in droves there. There goes another 28,000. And finally, and I'll give you the overrun here too, quarter 8, 9.45 to 10 p.m., Tony Storm versus Hikaru Shida with picture-in-picture picture and a title change, 807,000 viewers, and the two-minute post-run, 852,000 viewers. Yeah, but we, <laughs> we're not given the extra 40, uh, what is it, 45,000 people for two minutes. We're not going to do that. Well, this one's interesting because they they don't normally peak in the middle. They normally peak at the beginning. But in this case, they stayed fairly steady until MJF and Cole showed up. They popped in big for that, and then they ran off in droobs for the elite and continued migrating away for the rest of the programming afterwards. So they only ended up 112,000 down from where they started, but they ended up 157,000 down from where the, their peak was. Very interesting. Another show where this Adam Cole, MJF stuff gets the highest rating, gets the highest key demo. It hasn't just been on Wednesday. They did it on Saturday. What does this tell you? I mean, this is clearly the hottest thing in the company by far. And it's selling it, merch too. It may be their bloodline. Uh, and MJF is flawless with everything in terms of just he can perform anything and in any emotions or whatever. Adam Cole has been a little. Yeah, but with this, he sunk his teeth into it. It's it's silly for me, uh, a, a, a bit of the tone of being silly. I wish they'd have tried to make it a little bit more believable with the cinematic-like vignettes, but it's more fun to watch than most anything else on this fucking program. Considering the business they are doing, and they continue to do, with what the network wants, which is the key demo, with the overall number, with merchandise, with crowd reactions, everything we could look at. If there was a plan to turn one of them on the other one, do you reconsider it? Or do you say that I could take how hot this is and make it hotter by having these guys continue to work with each other, just not as friends? Without knowing what their plot is, and I mean, this could be the greatest buildup to the worst idea ever, or it could be a great buildup to a, wow, that was a great idea! But without knowing what that is, it's hard to, to say definitely, but I would at least have the thought of, you know, they've already booked the match in Wembley, so it seems like they're going to have to do something. But I would have had the thought at this point, God damn, if I can still do the same thing in three months, maybe I don't need to do it right now. Because once that you've... Unless, again, they've they've mastered an intricate bloodline-like scenario where they can pull the trigger on the next thing with and still leave questions and still, you know, people want to see what's going to happen next or they've answered everything and that is what it is, you know, I might try to stretch it out a little bit. But now they book, if they book the match and what they're doing in the match brings this to a conclusion, then they're, they can't, 
They can't do an hour Broadway and shake hands, so somebody's going to have to do something. Or is it a deal where fucking they have a great match and then Roddy's not happy with MJF, so he comes out and tries to fuck MJF and Adam super kicks Roddy and MJF schoolboys Adam because he didn't see that and one, two, three, and then they still shake hands. I don't fucking know. But uh, Kyle O'Reilly shows up wearing his uh, Viv from the Young Ones outfit that he was wearing in NXT. The way he'll fit in with the British fans, and he does something to help or hurt someone. Well, but then, yeah, I don't know. Bobby Fish Ooh. is outside selling autographs. Bobby Fish can't get in the country. I don't. Think. <laughs> but but anyway, it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting, and I think that's why everybody's interested. But I would if I could. Think about it. I'd try to stretch this out a little bit longer. But they may be headed toward a drop-dead date. Well, that was the rate. That, that was. Those were the ratings for AEW Dynamite. And, of course, we'll talk about Collision after we travel through time a little bit later on. But, you know, I'm, I'm wondering, Brian, about the daggum ratings these days. I don't know how much stock to put in the ratings. Because, you know, the TV companies and the TV networks and the streaming people, they're all trying to pull some old... You know, hotsy totsy on you there, trying to fucking do the old shell game. Hotsy totsy. Well, they're trying to fuck us around, is what they're doing. <laughs> they're trying to, they're trying to confuse us. They're trying to withhold content. They're trying to make people jump through hoops to see things. Have you heard about this? Those bastards. I have heard about this. For example, did you know that you apparently cannot see Inception? on Canadian Netflix or Pulp Fiction. What? I didn't Either know that, you can no. or you can't one or the other. Either you can see it there nowhere else in the world or you can't see it there. You can't see Jurassic World on Netflix in Hong Kong. You cannot watch Modern Family on Netflix in the United Kingdom. Wow. That's this weird. is what I'm hearing from our friends at ExpressVPN. Hey, you know what? Susan, there's a show Suzanne likes that she can never access from England. The, uh, I think it's the Great British Sewing Bee. Well, there's probably a reason for that. Yeah, well, she doesn't have access to the channel because she's in America. No, it's probably because the show sucks. But nevertheless, if, you, if, if there's a good show, you might not be able to watch it. But they might be shoving some other substandard show right down your gullet like AEW, and that artificially boosts up the ratings. You never know what these... Internet streamers and providers are going to do. That's why you got to protect yourself. And ExpressVPN, we've been talking about them for a long time now, not lately because of the issues, but they're back and they are trying to eliminate the people in your walls. We've talked about this before. The internet service providers, every time they send somebody out to do service, two of them come in your house, only one leaves. That's because one stays behind and secretes himself in your walls. And not only is he got a walkie-talkie where he's reporting back to the home office in Lincoln, Nebraska, of everything that you're doing on your computer, all the sites you're, you're visiting, and the various things you're looking up, and wh how to dispose of your spouse's body, things like that. But also, they're the ones, Brian, the people inside your walls are the ones that are counting the viewers for the Nielsen people. 
There are no because people inside your walls, and it says nothing to do with Nielsen. How do you think that the ratings people know exactly how many people are watching the program? How do you think that? How would they do that? They trust the word of the people who catalog what they write. No, no, no. They've got somebody inside the wall with his ear to the wall, and he's got a notepad, and when he hears the opening sound of it's Wednesday night, you know what that means? He writes it down. Where does he sleep? These people don't sleep. They live in walls. Where does what he eat? Crazy? What does he do? How much space do you have in the wall that you he have brings, he even brings think this in, is possible? He brings in a, a very thin, very long lunchbox, and when he's finished with it, it's a hero sandwich that's in it, one of those big two, three-foot-long subs, and when it's Oof. that's how he determines his shift. When he finishes that three-foot sub, it's time to put another person in his place inside the wall, and they sh they switch late at yeah, night. How does that happen? How does he get out of the wall? Well, he's got the equipment in there. You know, these people are workmen. Yeah, how They're does he get craftsmen. out? How do, he uses the equipment to get out? Is that what you're saying? Yes, it's, it's, there, well, there's a secret fucking box of saws and drills, <laughs> really? and then thing, things are hinged. And you never know it. But anyway, that's so that's how the, that the ratings people know that's what you're how. watching. No, it's not. Because the people inside your walls are listening to it and they're writing it down in their notebook and putting it back in their lunchbox with the three-foot sub. So later on, it, under cover of darkness, they can switch out and report back to the home office. But ExpressVPN can change all that because they let you change your location online and just as soon as you hit the button, you might be in Poughkeepsie. Suddenly, you look around, you're in Denver, Colorado. You can change well, I your... Don't, I don't know if that's exactly... Oh, no, exactly... wait, I'm sorry. No, you can't change your location online. You can change your online location. That's right. That's what it is. This isn't total recall or anything. So, well, it, you know, and it would probably do something to your fucking insides if you went from Poughkeepsie to Denver that quickly. But... Netflix will think you're in Denver or they'll think you're in Cambodia or Brussels, Belgium or Bulgaria. They got a bunch of places that they can put you. ExpressVPN well, does. That's not how it works. It's not a travel agency for... Well, no, they got a bunch of places they can figuratively put you. They can put your computer there. And then it's going to be a long way away from you. I don't know how you're going to watch shit on your computer when it's in another <laughs> country. But nevertheless, this is apparently this works. So <laughs> what happens is when they've got you blocked, it's, it's called, hold on. I'll tell you what it's called. It's called, hold on. It's geo-restricting. When they geo-restrict a TV show that you want to watch, that means you've got to be in a certain part of the world to watch that. And let's say you can't afford the plane ticket over there to wherever the show is showing. Well, you just call ExpressVPN, and what you do is you open the app, you select a location, you tap one button to connect, and then refresh the page to access the geo-restricted show that you want to watch. Do you understand what I just said? I don't think you understand what you just said. How am I supposed to understand what you just said? Well, okay, you open an app. Now, I don't know how to do that, but you know about the apps, right? Yeah, I know about apps. Okay, well, and you select a location that you want the rest of the world to think you're in. And only you and ExpressVPN is going to be in on this. I got to get Suzanne hooked up with this. She could watch that British Sewing Bee show. Yeah. And then you tap a button to connect, and then you refresh your page. I guess spray it with some fucking air freshener. No, 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 no. It's a Freshen button. it up. No, it's actually on the computer. You refresh it, and it 
refreshes your page. I don't know how else to summarize well, it. Well, it, it smells like pretty flowers. No, there's and no then, smell. There's no smell. There's no smell. How is it going to be fresh then? You want things to smell fresh. And then you could access that geo-restricted program that you wanted to watch just from doing that. And you can stream in HD with zero buffering. There will be no, there will be no buffers, no buffets, none of that. And it's compatible with all your devices, the phones, the laptops, the media consoles, the smart TVs, the Didolator Mach 3. It's compatible with everything, and it encrypts your data so you can browse the web securely without anybody knowing it's you. You will be under a presumed name, and you will have a mask draped over the picture of your face, and you will be given... <laughs> A fictitious location. This is not how it works, ladies and And then gentlemen. all you got to do is cut fucking words out of a magazine and paste them together no. on the page. And when you send that letter, they're going to send you some fucking money. And nobody will know where it came from. Yeah, no, Certainly no one will know because none of this is going to happen. Ladies and gentlemen, ExpressVPN is your way to access these shows. You want to get access to the WWE Network overseas? ExpressVPN yeah. is your way of doing it. They are respectable. They know what they're doing. There are no people inside your walls. None of these other things that have been talked about will happen other than the wonderful service from Express. I can't even talk. ExpressVPN. You know, I mean, I, I don't have to watch the cock anymore. I can watch the network again. Yeah, because well, I got to. You, you need I, someone to help you get this set up. Maybe I got to check into this. You know, they say watching Netflix without using ExpressVPN is like paying for a gym membership, but only being able to use the treadmill. And you know what happens when you use a treadmill, folks? You get nowhere. So ExpressVPN has almost 100 different server locations. So you can gain access to thousands of new shows and you can be located in all these places. I mean, you can. You can travel from, in your mind, from Palm Beach to the Pacific Northwest to What are you talking Tahiti. about? There's no you, traveling involved. These, well, in your mind, you can. No, you, not in your mind. It has nothing to do with this. I mean, of course, if you want to, you could just dream that you're on the moon or whatever. But yeah, with ExpressVPN. You could, you could say, today, ExpressVPN, I'm going to be in Tahiti. That's not how it works. No. Well, they'll send you there whether you like it or no, not. They're not sending you anywhere. ExpressVPN works with you in your home. You do everything the way you would normally do it, except you access ExpressVPN, and they hook you up. And that's it. There's no Tahiti involved. All right. Well, but there's something crooked going on around here on somebody's part. I'm going to figure it out. But in the meantime... <laughs> not ExpressVPN's part, not for them, the record. But there's some other side. Why are they blocking these shows? What don't they want you to know? Well, Who a, are they? It could be a rights issue. What are they? Let me clarify this. Oh, my God. Be smart, folks. Stop paying full price for streaming services and only getting access to a fraction of their content and being lied to at the same time. Lie, start lying to them. Don't tell them where you're at. Get your money's worth at expressvpn.com slash JCE. And when you use my link, expressvpn.com slash JCE, you get an extra three months of ExpressVPN absolutely free. Who knows where they'll put you in the world? Over a course of three months, you could be from Maine to Spain on a choo-choo train. You'll be at home. You'll be in a home. Or No, you'll be at your home, not in a home. You'll be at they home. Might, they might put you in someone else's home and let them take the heat for the questionable internet searches that you make. No. 
Let's not go there. Think about, th- think about this. They could put you in your neighbor's house, and then the, the, the neighbors would be the one blamed by everybody supervising and snooping when they searched for the remake of Dumbo Does It Donkey Style on the internet. Again, I don't think this is how ExpressVPN works. It's a very simple, wonderful way to access shows that you wouldn't normally have access to or websites that you wouldn't have access to here in the States. ExpressVPN, very nice people, and we're so happy to have them back with us. And uh, everything just... You got no finish for that bit. (laughs) What's your show? It's your show. ExpressVPN.com slash JCE is where you can get three months of whatever's going on here for free. And and nobody will be any the wiser. Except you. Except you. ExpressVPN. you'll be in on it. That's right. Get the people out of your walls. ExpressVPN. Well, is it time, Brian, to layeth the smacketh down? Well, if not now, when? Well, I guess that's it was SmackDown for August 4th, by the way, that red letter day. Um, And, you know, honestly, this one was a lot easier to watch than some of them recently because we finally got a little L.A. night, just a just a soup song, just a drava. But uh, L.A. night opened up the show against Seamus with the brawling brutes in his corner because, of course, they got the big, highly important. SummerSlam Battle Royal, and they're trying to juice that thing up. But at least they've they they've got the announcers now recognizing the L.A. Night movement, as they call it, that's in front of their face. That they're thunderous chants and screaming and yelling and blah 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 from the fans. And they let him cut a promo before the match when he came out. And the group of Stooges, it's going to be in the Battle Royal, and uh, then you know. <laughs> Again, the Brutes have been the baby faces, right? But uh -uh. uh-uh, every time that poor old Seamus did anything, if he breathed on L.A. Knight, the people would boo him and they cheer everything that L.A. Knight does. But as soon as they get started with that, again, after two minutes, here comes Escobar and The Miz and Waller and Cross and Scarlett and A.J. Styles and Mia. And the match is still going on, but all these people that have they've already announced for the Battle Royal are coming out. And they go to the break on that. And they come back. And again, everybody's around the ring, but it's not really a lumberjack match because the Battle Royal is going to be everyone for themselves. So L.A. Knight is in the babyface position now where he has to fight back out of the heat. And wins the one-two, boom, 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 and does his L.A. Knight elbow, and they start doing their false finishes. But basically, it was almost perfect, <laughs> and I felt so bad for him. It's live television. Sheamus goes to the top, and he's going to come off. But L.A. Knight tried the deal where he leaps up to the top rope from the middle of the ring in one charge, and he didn't quite get it. And he jumped right back up, but now Seamus was off balance and lost his footing on a turnbuckle, and he pulled L.A. Knight off balance, and L.A. Knight goes over the top rope and drops feet first to the floor, but Seamus falls off the fucking thing with his leg hung in it and just lands on his head. So that didn't look lovely. But as all the ringsiders... Go ahead. Well, I was going to ask you, what did you think? Did you watch that a second time? What... Whose fault I watched is that? It about five. Whose fault is that? It, well, it it was a it was a group effort. 
Because you can't even say fault. L.A. Knight running from the middle of the ring and leaping up to the top rope. Those ropes are fucking, you know, dodgy, and it's that's why it's an impressive move when he nails it. But at some point, you ain't going to quite get it. And he he had both feet on the top rope, and he reached out to grab Sheamus, but he to steady himself, but he couldn't make it, and he dropped down. Well, should Sheamus have been leaning forward instead of back? Well, no, he did lean forward. He tried to lean forward, but he just, L.A. Knight's balance, he didn't get it at first. But then when L.A. Knight popped back up, that's when Sheamus saw that he was going to, and he tried to lean over anyway, but as, as that's when L.A. Knight got back on the top. But then Sheamus was trying to get his feet under him so they could go anyway, and his fucking right foot slipped off the middle turnbuckle, which threw Sheamus's balance backwards, so it pulled L.A. Knight over the top rope with him. My second question, as you review this here, did they handle the recovery as good as you could? It kind of worked in with the match, didn't it? And well, yeah, because they, they both just sold and laid there, because why wouldn't you? And uh, see, that's the, the only other thing worse when you fuck something up, if you hop right back up to your feet, that just even calls more attention to it. Because have you ever seen the funny skateboard videos, right? When some guy fucking really hurts himself and busts his ass, but there's not really people watching him. And he jumps back up to see it, like looks around. Did anybody see that? That's what calls attention to it. So they sold and all the ringsiders stood around and argued with each other. And that was the spot anyway, I guess, that Theory was going to jump Escobar. And then all the ringsiders get in a big fight. And... Seamus gives gets to give Miz the Bowery Beats or the Ballroom Blitz or whatever the his thing is. The Ballroom Blitz, really? Well, yeah, it's even worse than the Bowery Beats. <laughs> and then L.A. Knight hit his finish on Seamus one two three and bailed out to the floor. So except for the bobble off the top rope, it was a good match. It wasn't long, but at least L.A. Knight is winning and beating top names now. You think Seamus has ever actually been to the Bowery? I don't. I think he's seen a few Bowery Boys movies. Maybe I'd be impressed if he has. Actually, actually, I would too. I don't think that the kids have that much taste these days. Big show. This is SummerSlam weekend. Hot crowd. They open up with LA Knight. They have LA Knight go over. You get all the usual shenanigans you get before a big multi-man match or a ladder match or a Survivor Series or a Battle Royal where everyone's just there because, of course, including Scarlett, who was just who's yeah. always around. <laughs> But um, beyond that, they give LA Knight a win. It seems that they are finally leaning into it. Hopefully they won't uh, lean too hard and stumble and fall. Did you love the Cody and Brock history package? It was good. I don't know what the sad music was, but it sounded commercial. It didn't sound like something they did themselves. Do you have any idea being a younger person than I am? Oh, I don't remember what the music was. I didn't. But it was sad music. It was, they had the highlights of their matches and their angles, the things that Brock had done to Cody and him vowing to come back and climb the mountain. The editing was great. The promo lines they picked. This was good television. It made the match big and important. Like, this is, the, this is going to be the, the final chapter, the end of the saga. And it better be, at least for a while. Should they become friends after this? I don't know. I maybe maybe Brandy could invite Brock on her cooking show. He likes to kill things to cook. There you go, and she likes to cook them. 
All right. I like the video. Brandy and Brock. Big match on SummerSlam. Yeah. Brandy and Brock coming to YouTube. Maybe it could be an ongoing series. And then we got Ridge and Butch. They'd just been out there, but they got a tag team match with Anderson and Gallows where they went three minutes of the break and then they came back and went a couple minutes and suddenly out came private profits in a suit or in suits that they got from Bobby Lashley last week. And they attacked everybody and beat up everybody in a fucking match and got disqualified and Lashley came out and hugged them. So they have reformed the hurt business without the rest of the hurt business. They need to get MVP into this. That's the one thing Bobby Lashley is missing still, is MVP. They worked so well together. Somebody able to cut a promo is what this group is is missing. Someone who can cut a promo who's not going to have to work matches. Although he could, actually. But it's not. that's not the most crucial point. Right. And then they did a Charlotte video and made her look like a star. She's on the, the yacht, champagne, and the caviar and the the fashionable clothes and sunbathing herself from the drone shot on the roof of the the boat or the yacht or the ship or what would you quantify or call a a a conveyance from that class is that it's bigger than a boat would it would be a ship a yacht i would call that a yacht yacht. did the yacht leave the dock i don't think they went anywhere yes just sat on okay there's a boat just docked i'll go hang out over there well, you know, you hear you're in town where they got a, a marina and there's a boat. You can go hang out on the boat. You don't have to go somewhere. I don't know. You're trying to make it all glamorous. It's not like she's at the Mediterranean or something. She's She she was at the Star Point fishing camp in Birdstown, Tennessee, and just went down to smell the bait. But no, this was like a modern Ric Flair video from the Crockett days with the private plane and the models. It makes her look like a star and a jet setter. So again, they're, they're doing good videos. Real quick. What do you think about the idea that Trish and Becky, as well as I guess, Rhea, there's a lot of women not on SummerSlam that are in main event stuff right now, or not main event, but main roster, you know, right. Stuff that's getting pushed. Well, I've heard People up in arms because Trish and Becky treat the WWE women better. What a Trish and Becky aren't on SummerSlam, but they're going to be on a live television program upcoming, either Raw or SmackDown. I can't remember. But the point is, were they supposed to be on SummerSlam? Was this booked and announced and then taken away? Is that why people are up in arms? Well, it seemed like they were booking it in that direction. Whether well, the talent were told that or not is another story, but it if, seemed if like they were leaning in that direction. If you're going to get the match on television, you don't even have to pay for it or watch the cock. Why, why, why are anybody arguing about that? Well, I think, you know, again, as the modern fan, a lot of fans feel for the talent because they won't have the opportunity to be on the main SummerSlam event, which is a big deal. So it's still one of the big four. They're all on guarantees. I don't think they're going to miss any car payments. Anyway. Apparently, they're using Born to be Wild for the SummerSlam plugs, and that's better than the off-brand and or modern music that we continue to be force-fed in a lot of these things. It brings me, brings me to mind of old Cactus Jack matches. Isn't it crazy in 2023, one promotion uses Wild Thing and the other one's using Born to be Wild? <laughs> hey, it's the classics. They never go out of style. No, they don't. I agree. 
All right, well, we've got to the bloodline. And Paul Heyman was in the ring. He was reflective and somber, Paul Heyman. He was low-key. His jowls didn't even flap or wrinkle in the wind when he was talking. Will you leave him alone for once? He said, this is not what Roman Reigns wanted. It's to blame. It's the blame of Jey Uso for what happened to Jimmy. Roman didn't want all this to blow up. Roman doesn't want to fight this match. It's Jay's fault. He's to blame for what happened to Jimmy. And he fired up and he introduced the tribal combat video. And finally, <laughs> we get to see some of the elders, even if it was in clips from past appearances or past comments. But Paul voiced over the the video which explains or attempted to explain tribal combat, which was they had highlights even of Peter Maivia and Rikishi and Afa and Sika. And the rules, there's only one rule. And Brian, you're never going to guess what this rule is. Don't be late for dinner. Well, that was only Yokozuna's rule. The, the rule that is, exists in this match is there's got to be a winner, and that man will be tribal chief, and otherwise anything goes. So basically, anything goes, no disqualification. Don't know, will it remains to be seen whether it's lazy booking. It's tribal booking. Tribal booking. So they go back to Paul in the ring, and he's starting to promo the match, and Jay's music interrupts, and here he comes to the ring. And he got wound up again, and he talked about all the things that he's going to do to Roman Reigns, and he's going to bring the passion and spirit of his ancestors, and he got whatted, but it works because he does the thing. I'm going to hit him with a chair. What? I'm going to hit him with a table. What? I'm going to, you know. Yeah. So that works. At this it's point, not, it's almost like they're doing it with him whenever he does yes. it. Yes. Because he's figured out how to conquer it. Yes. Just say four words and put a period on it. And then jump in when they're catching their breath. But basically, Jay swore that he'd be the new champion tomorrow. That may have been far for a babyface to go. But nevertheless, when he does that, Solo's music plays, because now we got to hear from his little brother. And Solo comes to the ring. And Paul's holding him back like, don't, don't, don't hurt him. And Paul tells Jay that you done screwed up. And Jay tells Solo that, hey, you're my brother. And I'll always love you, but he tries to smarten Solo up to Paul. And what Paul's always doing, and he's always going to be lying to him and blah, blah, blah. And Solo starts looking at Paul suspiciously, and then Paul notices it. <laughs> and he, he says, could I, have, could I have a word with you? Off, you know, like in the, into the microphone, but like whispering. And then Solo won't go with him. Solo tells Paul to get out of the ring. And at that point, Jay super kicks Solo. Now, if I'd have been Jay, I might have waited to see if Solo was going to spike Paul a little longer. But they were probably running low on time. And after the super kick, Solo goes to the floor, and Jay tells Paul, tell my cousin I'll see him tomorrow, and tell my brother I'll see him later and struts out of the ring. So our main event is Jay and Solo. 
How did you feel about this episode of As the Bloodline Turns? You know, I thought it was all right. I like this better than the match, to be honest. <laughs> Heyman's so good. Jey Uso's really good. And I figure after SummerSlam, things have to change somehow. I don't know what it'll be. You got to figure Jimmy Uso's going to somehow get involved. I can't imagine he would turn on Jay at this point. No. Because then it would be illogical based on everything we've been through. But I also can't see Roman losing the belt right now. No. To Jay. But I also thought Roman was going to lose the belt at WrestleMania. I thought he should lose the belt at WrestleMania. And you know what? I'll say WWE were right. It's worked out okay. Yeah, let me say that also. We were We were We were wrong about that at WrestleMania. So we'll see what happens, but I feel like, you know, SummerSlam is still one of the big four. Maybe I'm a traditionalist. I feel like you start stuff and you end stuff at the big events. You know, it was traditional that coming out of WrestleMania was like a fresh start in a lot of ways for programs and feuds. Something has to happen different now. It's been since WrestleMania. No Sammy, no Kevin Owens. It's all been about Roman and the Usos with Solo. Something has to happen. And what about if Aaron Solo was to come and say, hey, you stole my <laughs> Solo gimmick? See, that would be a twist. I am the real Solo. I'm going to paint an X over my face. Or get, get, wait a minute. Hold on here. They could get Solo Sokoa. They could get Aaron Solo. And then we had a developmental guy named Solo that was a member of the Samoan family about 20 years ago in OVW for a little while. His name was Solo? I think it was. You mean Manu? I know. I don't. I, he was the one that looked like the little, the little mini rock. Whatever happened to Manu? That guy showed up for like on the main roster on Raw, for like three weeks, and then we've never seen ever again. But they, but they get, they get all of them. They could say, "I am Solo. I am Solo. I am Solo." Who's the real Solo? You know what? No one expects. What if the Tonga Kid runs in? You're right. Nobody expects that. So anyway, um, we'll talk about the main event later on. Real quickly, Austin Theory wrestled Cameron Grimes briefly. And I like both these guys. And they did good shit, but they didn't do it long. Um, as soon as the match starts, Escobar comes out with agents and referees and gets held in the aisle. And Grimes did a pretty good job for about two and a half minutes of kicking the shit out of Theory and doing some nice moves. And then suddenly Theory knocked him off the top rope and hit his finish. One, two, three in about three minutes. So it was good stuff. Nobody bought Cameron Grimes' false finishes because they didn't believe he was going to beat Theory. Uh, but he was trying. And then Escobar came in and hit his finish on Theory and left. So... At one point or another, everybody just gets laid the fuck out around here. Everybody's just even. <laughs> There's nobody really got one over on anybody. They all just take turns. Well, you know, that's the problem here. It's good to see Austin Theory get a win. He needs it. But they've done nothing to establish Cameron Grimes as being special on the main roster. I mean, he's almost an afterthought. You forget he's there. And then all of a sudden, oh, shit, Cameron Grimes is here. And he's a babyface. Yeah. We've seen what he could do in NXT. We've seen his personality. We've seen him as a heel. We've seen even him do comedy. There has to be something better to do with him on the main roster. He needs more hair. 
Well, they took he's, his hair. They made him shave his chest hair away. Well, I should well, say no, that. He's oh. not clean shaven now. It's just nicely groomed. But I, he needs to be the hairy son of a bitch that we came to know and love that was weird in NXT. Hair all over his body. Hair on his chest. Hair on his back. Hair on his chinny chin chin. I want some more hair. Until Manscape is back. Yes, and then we can then we can make him a project and make him a couple of dollars at the same time. And they announced apparently the Trump sucking right wing piece of shit Kid Rock is going to give us a segment we can skip on SummerSlam, since he's from Detroit and he needs work. But the, the um, thing about Kid Rock, even beyond the politics and anything, I mean he's not really a happening thing, and he's not like a legendary act to most people. It's not puzzling. He's in the Hall of Fame because he sucks Trump's dick and Vince likes Trump because they both want to fucking show how much money they've got to each other. But in the meantime, he's got pictures of him on Twitter hugging that disgraced criminal piece of shit that's about to go to prison for the rest of his life. And before I would even shake hands with the man, I would demand he be fumigated. So that's a warning to all the people in the locker room at SummerSlam. Speaking of fumigation, Wallering with Waller was with Bailey and EO. What'd I miss? Shotzi returned, but it was a fake Shotzi. Fake Shotzi? It ended up being Zelina Vega in the tank with the helmet over her head so you couldn't tell it wasn't Shotzi, and then Shotzi showed up with her new hairdo, acting crazy, while the crowd sat there on their hands, mm. and she took out scissors. I guess her thing now, kind of like Brutus the Barber Beefcake, he got his hair cut by Adrian Adonis, and then he came back and cut Adrian Adonis's hair, and then he became the barber. She's now, because she cut her own hair, her gimmick is she wants to cut someone else's hair. So she's trying to get Bailey's hair, and Bailey ran away. Well, good for Bailey. But apparently, uh, out of that, as a result, we got Zelina versus EO. Yeah. I was running low on time, otherwise I would have uh -huh, watched. Yeah. Okay, so time for the main event on SmackDown, Solo versus Uso. And again, you know, you mentioned it, you liked the promo better than the match. There wasn't anything wrong with this. It was just, it was, again, Solo and one of the Usos fighting. We've seen it a number of times. The story is where we're going rather than the match here. Solo's bigger and stronger. So strong, he uses a head palm shoot-off on a grown adult man that wants to fight him back and kill him. But just put his hand on his head and, whoo, off he goes. <sighs> so they went to the break in about three minutes, and then they came back. And he got heat on Jay, Solo did, just dominated him, and then finally missed the ass in the face, and Jay made a comeback. Have you noticed all of the Samoan family are using the slap punches and they're getting careless about it to where it's just now yeah. it's, it's, it's kind of see-through. I've noticed it before, but now that you say it, you know, I, I guess I haven't realized how prevalent it is. Because the rock got away with it. So everybody thinks that they're the rock now, but they ain't the rock and they're opening their hand too quick. And you can see it on the high def slow-mo DVRs we have now. We didn't have in 1999 when the rock was working and somebody needs to throw, learn how to throw a punch with a closed fist. Cause it's embarrassing. But having said that a couple false finishes, then solo took over called for the spike. 
Jay ducked it. They traded super kicks. Jay speared him, splashed him off the top, and beat him one, two, three. And I know what you're going to say. You're going to say, well, I guess that put a period on that, but no, because Solo got right back up and attacked Jay, and they went to the floor, and Jay got a chair and just wore Solo out with it. And that put the period on it. And he's ready for Roman at SummerSlam tomorrow as they did this today as we're talking about this and tomorrow when we'll be talking about it, when we finished watching this today. Does that make any sense? I Who knows if it makes any sense. Should Roman <laughs> Reigns have been on this episode, the SmackDown before SummerSlam? Well, what would he have done? What can you? What was there to do that hasn't already been done? One last traditionally, promo. all the main event guys on a pay per view were on the show because traditionally, all the main event guys on a pay per view usually were full time guys and at least made television. But you know, I, I, you know, unless they had something for him to do, I think the the matches, the matches made and the matches there. We just got to figure out what they're going to do in the match. What do you think they'll do in the match? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I think Cody has to win. I think for this match, Roman, I can't imagine Roman losing. So that means Jay probably has to get screwed over somehow, because I don't know if you just want to have him beat clean after all this, because that's going to kill him cold. Right. Or traditionally it would. There needs to be a lot of bells and whistles, smoke and mirrors, interference, cheating, conniving, something. I mean, we're all assuming... They can't just beat Jay. See, the problem is we're all assuming, and I... You know, you, you want to assume it's a safe assumption, but who knows, that he's going to be the champion through Mania. Like, it'll have to happen at least there. Or at some point past another record, or whatever it may be. I don't know if Jay Uso is the guy to get it, but I guess that's what it comes down to. After Jay Uso, you say, what do you think will happen? My mind goes to, what do I think will happen after that? Like, where do I think they're going to go? Who are they going to introduce into this, if anyone? Because I feel like it has to, I mean, the circle of people in the universe of the bloodline is getting smaller. Yeah. Something has to happen. I don't know what it will be. Oh, Cousin Jacob. All right. Anyway. We will find out by the end of this podcast, because by then we'll know, because all we do is record podcasts and watch wrestling, and sometimes we stop doing one to do the other, and that's what we're going to do now. Well, you know, Brian, as SmackDown is over with, it's, it's 10 o'clock on the East Coast, and, and that's, you know, time for all good boys and girls to be tucked into their beds. And that's, that's where I went shortly after the program was over with. And thankfully I got a wonderful night's sleep because of our friends at Helix sleep and the mattresses that they provide. And as a matter of fact, there can be a, a big wrestling and mattress tie in also, because think about this folks, if you're an aspiring wrestler, and you want to jump off the roof, you want to jump off your garage, you want to jump off a barn, you want to jump off a shed, you want to jump off anything, what better place for your collection of bones in whatever shape they're going to be in and whether they're going to be intact or not, after you come off that thing, what better mattress to fall into than a Helix Sleep mattress custom made right here in the good old US of A? Brian, can, can you imagine if 
If only Mick Foley had dove off the roof of his house onto a Helix sleep mattress, he would have got to the WWF years before he did. You know, maybe if Mick Foley had gone to sleep every night on a Helix mattress in his room, he would have had a good night's sleep, and instead of dreaming of Jimmy Snooker, he would have dreamt of an accountant or a lawyer and gone down that road. No, he would have dreamt of a famous author because he's already a best-selling author and he did it by hand. Certainly, if he'd have started earlier, he could have got more practice. It could be Stephen King and Mick Foley. You never know. Well, he's not a great novelist. He's a great author writing about his own time in wrestling. If he didn't have that time in wrestling because he didn't have time on a Healy Sleep mattress, then maybe he would have had no adventures. He would have had a boring life in Suffolk County. No books. No author. No, no, no. Au contraire, mon frere. Because he's written children's stories. He's written witty compositions oh. on Twitter. He's written <laughs> what letters. I mean, he's, he's a oh. man of, of many talents. And I, I hesitate to think how great he could have become if he'd have been sleeping on a Helix mattress instead of in the backseat of his car going to wrestling school. But nevertheless, folks, you cannot make that same mistake. You can't. You can't do it. You've got to get a good night's sleep so that you can achieve your full potential, and no matter who you are, how big, how small, how fat, how skinny, how old, how young, how hot, how cold, Helix Sleep has a mattress for you, including the Helix Elite Collection. They got the six different mattress models. Every one of those comes with a 15-year manufacturer's warranty and the same 100-night trial as the rest of Helix mattresses, which are composed of for the young ones, for the, for the little kids, for the little whippersnappers, they got one of those. They got one for the portly people. They got something if you want to sleep on your back, on your side, on your face, face down in a pool of your own vomit. However, if you want to sleep not like, like that, a rock star. Not like that. That's not recommended for breathing, let alone sleeping on a Helix Sleep mattress. A lot of people dream of being able to sleep like a rock star. Not like a dead rock star. That's how most rock stars sleep. But folks, besides that, I mentioned the good old U.S. of A. because Helix supports military first responders, sometimes even second responders, if it's a big enough deal. Teachers and students, you get a special discount. And they own their own manufacturing facility. And we have talked about this before. Each Helix mattress is made by a team of skilled manufacturers. As a matter of fact, three of them are brothers, and the other guy's a close friend of theirs. He may be a cousin. It's bigger and, than a team of four, and we're not guaranteeing there's any sort of family involved in this. They're very skilled. And once they took over that the manufacturing... Are, yes. yes, the workers are. And once they took over that manufacturing facility, as a matter of fact, it, it used to be a, a little coffee-making place. But every time that somebody tasted the coffee, they said, shit, that tastes like mud. And the people said, well, it was ground this morning. But now it's making mattresses. And you should never have to compromise on comfort, folks. Helix has mattresses that regulate your body temperature. Just you get the, you tell them what body temperature you want, and they'll send you a mattress to keep at that specific temperature. Now, that's not the way I'd it works. You, that's well, not I'd the way it works. I advise everybody stay above 88 degrees. Yeah, that, that's not the way it works, but what it, the way it works is it it doesn't work like that. It doesn't so work if, like if, that. So if your body temperature varies cuz it helps regulate your body temperature, if your temperature's up and down, it'll stick you in the middle somewhere. Well, everyone's had that uncomfortable moment in the middle of the night where for no good reason like the bed is hot or something. You don't want that. You want to everyone wants the pillow to be cool, you know what I mean? 
Well, yeah, you know, you wake up in a in a pool of sweat like four or five times a night. You do? You do, of course you do. Doesn't everybody? I do not. You screaming, do? Screaming? Screaming and throwing things? Four or five times a night. Yeah. But I, that's why I had to take all the breakable stuff and put it far enough away I couldn't reach it from the bed. Well, luckily now you have a Helix Sleep mattress. You don't have to worry about any of these problems. Now it's a good night's sleep every night with Helix Sleep. Well, no, that that is a good night's sleep for me. I still do that. Before I got the Helix, I was up all night. Anyway, and, and again, folks, there's nothing worse than going to a mattress store and laying down on one of those sampler mattresses that you know that hundreds of people have been in there. You don't know whether it's some some guy with crotch rot or lice. some woman lice. You know, some woman could have not bothered to do her bodily hygiene for five or six years and sits on that thing and farts on it, whatever. whatever. Little Johnny dumb fuck has just come from rolling in a mud hole and now he's going to pop plop down on it and you know they probably when you buy one from those stores they probably send the 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 tester out to somebody after a while when they change models they just wrap it in cellophane and said that none of that with helix folks anyway all you got to do is go to helixsleep.com and you take a little quiz and they you tell them how you like to sleep and what position head up, head down, wherever the case, and and whether or not your body temperature goes from glacial ice flow to burning inferno, and then they will suggest the mattresses that are best for you, and then, boom, you get it, and, or you buy it on the site, and when you get it, in just a short period of time after that, it's in a nice little box, you can put it where you want it, you can open it up and watch it come to life. Get, bring the kids in. Have them roast some marshmallows and watch this thing. It's an amazing process. And if you go to helixsleep.com, that's H-E-L-I-X, sleep.com, slash J-C-E, they're offering 20% off all the mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. So you, And once you got the mattress, you barely even need the pillow. But if you got to have something to shove under your head, or between your legs, or under your hips, or whichever position you want to get in, you're going to have two free pillows as well, helixsleep.com slash J-C-E. That's right, Helix Sleep, a favorite here at Last Manor. But Jim, before we go to sleep and enjoy our Helix Sleep mattresses, it's time to once again travel through time. And who knows where we'll end up, but more likely than not, it'll be a day from now talking about the wrestling that we have to watch. <laughs> Are you ready to travel through time? I'm ready to get out of this pitch, whatever you're doing here. Here we go. We are in the future once again. That was it? That was it. That wasn't it's good. taking less time these days. Oh, that's kind of cool. All right, well, we are now, uh -huh. now we're in the future. That was a false start. And we're going to talk about AEW Collision, which... Had the misfortune of going against SummerSlam. Well, boy, howdy. I'll tell you what, between SummerSlam and Collision, for those of us who are not just inclined, but actually mandated to watch this stuff, it was a long night and morning. At six hours, six plus hours of wrestling action. But we're going to talk about Collision first. And before we talk about the television program, 
let me begin by saying that it was a great thing that FTR and Punk, and I'm sure Tony blessed it, Tony Khan, and whoever else was involved for the what they did for Dennis Condry after the show was over with. And I know that it obviously wasn't on television, so not everybody's seen it, but they put the clip out of after the show went off the air, they had uh, FTR were in the ring and they brought Punk out and Dennis and his wife, Teresa, were sitting in the front row because this weekend is the Charlotte Fan Fest and they're, they've been down there for that, but I'm sure FTR invited them to come down to Greenville and, and watch the matches. How far from Charlotte is Greenville? Yep. <laughs> Well, I don't know about time these days. We used to do it an hour and a half. Traffic is worse, but it's 105 miles right down the interstate. So that was, you know, that was, anyway, they recognized Dennis and brought him into the ring. And, you know, uh, everybody gave him a nice round of applause because it's Greenville, South Carolina. It's old Crockett territory. It's, you know, a, a prime place to do something like that. But, when I saw Dax enter on the TV show, he turned around and I said, well, he's got lover boy Dennis on the back of his vest. And then when he, when he turned around, I realized, no, that was actually Dennis's vest. He was wearing Dennis's vest. So he wore that and got that on the program. And then they brought Dennis in the ring to say a couple things after, you know, after the show, when they do their thank you fan interview thing that they all do. Did you see that clip? I saw only a little bit of it. I didn't get to watch the whole thing. And <laughs> Punk somehow, I don't, I joined it in progress, I guess, because Punk was wearing a cowboy hat. And that was an odd visual. I don't know exactly where he got that or what was going on there. But anyway, thank you guys, everybody who had something to do with recognizing Dennis there in, in front of the crowd. Now, should we talk about the television program? Uh, yeah, yeah, I guess so. And even though I'm going to have some things to say again, and it had the misfortune of going against SummerSlam, but this was the the premier wrestling program of the week, just because it it comes the closest to being a wrestling program. Uh, but unfortunately, I felt so bad. All right, let's go into it. The program, and this is Collision for August the 5th, started with the, the promos about the main matches. We had Punk, uh, his match against Starks, where he said he's going to separate the pretenders from the contenders because he's the real world champion. And Starks responded. And that Prince Nana got a chance to actually talk. We heard he has a voice. Uh, it was with Brian Cage and Big Bill because they're facing FTR, and then FTR rounded it out because they're in South Carolina. And then we got Elton John, Ian Riccoboni, and Nigel McGuinness in that order. And then the first match was Big Bill and Brian Cage against FTR. And I swear to God, I said, okay, at the start of this, I'm thinking, can they do it? Because Cage, I think, is hopeless. He looks wonderful, but to be left to his own devices, eh. Big Bill is looking better. Except for the name and the, I shouldn't say looking better. He, his work is better. He seems like somebody you could do something with, but the name and the 
just what he wears is just horrendous, right? And now that Cage is wearing a mohawk and face paint, he looks even there. That's a hat on a hat on that body and that face and that fucking thing. And only and he's flipping and doing backflips. You can't tell what the fuck his deal is supposed to be. But I said, okay, maybe FTR can do something here. And Dax came out with Dennis's vest on and everything. And they got the FTR chance going on. And Cash hugged his mother in the front row, which I believe is the proper use of a mother. I think a babyface should be allowed to hug their mother before they get in the ring and have the match. We'll come back to mother. And... (laughs) (laughs) Sounded like Anthony Perkins saying it that way. (laughs) Mother! And, you know, then they start having the match, and it was going brilliantly. They're putting the other guy's size and strength over, but Cash has a leapfrog like Buzz Sawyer. And, you know, again, Dax and Cash are just so technically proficient. But also, they they kept the guys doing simple shit that they, you know, that they could look big and strong in, and then Dax and Cash would double tackle or outmaneuver or whatever, and, and be a little quicker, and they were laying their shit in, and basically, I wrote FTR making this work, it's the best that Cage has ever looked. And the match is making sense. And then, you know, they did the break spot where Big Bill just press slammed Cash and dropped him over the top rope on Dax. And that was a decent break spot. And we were 11 minutes into the show by that point. So I'm invested in this. It's not like we saw two minutes of Bing, Bing, Bing and five minutes of fucking Massingill ads, right? So when they come back, they're getting heat on Cash on the floor. And then they did the deal where mom slaps Bill. But in the words of Frank Spaceman Hickey, too cartoon, too cartoon, because she was smiling. She was having the greatest time. She was, she was having the, the greatest time. time when her son was getting mauled in front of her. She couldn't contain herself. I wish we could declare a moratorium on that. And, you know, Stu and Helen, it worked because they'd been in the business for 50 years, right? But most of the time, the family, and and Michelle, Cody's mom, has done well. And we've just seen her in action. That's the thing. It's not like seeing a mom in the front row slap a wrestler or something we haven't seen just recently. This was not revolutionary, nor was it a big match where it had been built up for weeks and there was a grudge and the heels had said bad things about the family is because they were close to home. But anyway, having said that, they got some good heat on cash. I said, Big Bill looks better than ever. The match is making sense. Bill takes a nice bump into the post. Cash, German suplexes cage and fights up and hits a hot tag. And Dax comes in with great punches. Boom, 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 boom. And then they hit the top rope bulldog that the Steiners used to do perfectly. Yeah, it looked great. As they had done this sequence where bing, 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 the comeback, and they shit can Big Bill, and they pick up Cage. Dax picked him up effortlessly, bending over in that big meathead, right? 
and they hit the bulldog perfect and the cover and the people are there. One, two, he kicked out. And you can go back and watch. If they had got the three count there, the people would have gone absolutely ballistic and it would have been a great, almost a perfect match and everything that they needed to do would have been accomplished. But they went on. So at some point, here in the next 10 or 15 seconds, FTR try to go for the spike pile driver on Cage, and he picks Dax up underneath him, catches Cash coming off the ropes with a crossbody, and does the sack of shit throw to the both of them right after the bulldog off the top that he just took. How, it, it, and it's like they started having another match. Yeah, I'm not saying the spot wasn't right, but they could have done it two minutes into the fucking match, not right after they nearly decapitated him and he was selling. So then, at that point, Cage suplexed Cash, but Big Bill came back in and goozled Dax and choke slam and suplexed him. And then they just started doing shit. And it wasn't really as good as the shit they'd been doing, so the crowd lost interest kind of in the match, but instead they were chanting FTR like, yeah, let's get back to what you were doing a minute ago. And then, I don't know what happened. Because Big Bill set Cash up on the top turnbuckle and then turned around and Cash had to more or less climb up on his shoulders but he's on his shoulders, but Dax jumped up from behind and pulled him down, and Cage was on the top rope, and Big Bill went to charge with a double clothesline, but Cash ducked and Dax didn't. But it looked like maybe that Dax was surprised that fucking Big Bill clotheslined him, and because he tatered Dax, and then he turned around and grabbed Cash Tried to grab him by the neck like for a choke slam, but Cash, who had ducked the clothesline, thought that I guess he was going to hit him and sold it like a punch. And I wrote, I don't know what spot they're fucking up here. But <sighs> Big Bill clotheslined Cash to the floor and Cage did a dive, which, which again, they've already completely lost the plot after the Bulldog. And then they started getting a little fucking steam on Cash again, but they shoved the heels together and hit the shatter machine on Cage 1, 2, 3. So the finish where they were going to win was on the fucking guy that they bulldogged. Nothing would have changed except the match wouldn't have gone from perfect to what the fuck is going on here if they'd have just done it then. I don't know why they didn't do it then. I don't know why that they thought, even when they were talking it over, that it would have been good to do the things they did after they didn't do the thing they should have done. What do you think, Brian? I agree with you completely. I thought it was a pretty good match that went too long. Even before it got really sloppy, which it did, my thought was, this is a match unlike the FTR matches against Gin and Juice, for instance, 
we kind of know who's going to win. There's no question that it's not going to be Big Bill and Brian Cage with Prince Nana winning the tag titles in South Carolina. Right. So for that reason, I think it needs to be a good action-packed match, but it doesn't need to be a long match. doesn't need to be overly competitive. There don't need to be so many near falls when it's guys who are clearly not going to win. Then you're just trying to create something that doesn't need to be there. Brian Cage is an example of someone I want to like, and at times I do. You know, this match had some of the best clotheslines I've seen in a long time. It's such a weird compliment. But Cage and FTR lay them in, and the other guys take them hard and go down, and they look great, and they sound great. You don't really see that too often because you don't see big, muscular guys. Cage is wearing face paint. To honor Sting, I guess, because there was a giant scorpion on his pants, too. The heel, honoring Sting, I, th- I assume, I don't even know if the commentators ever said that, I think he looks good with the face pin because he looks like a big roided up 80s wrestler, but it shouldn't be happy colors. It should be something dark. <laughs> it like, was very pastel, wasn't it? Yeah, early Barbarian, early Road Warriors, Tijo Khan, something like that. Not friendly surfer Sting. You don't want to look like you're welcoming to people if you're the heel. But you see, you know, you know what, to be honest, that's the kind of 80s throwback I don't really, I guess because I had to live through so many Road Warrior impersonators and so many people doing the face paint because the handful of guys in the 80s, Ultimate Warrior, Road Warriors, Warlord, Barbarian, you know, had success with it. We saw everybody had their face painted. And now it, it kind of looks like, look, that guy's cosplaying as the Road Warriors. I mean, it has to be something different. It can't be a direct ripoff, but he came out there again. A scorpion on his trunks and sting face paint, and he's on the heel team in South Carolina. And I agree about Big Bill. Big Bill looks like he's getting better in the ring. He looks like he's in the best shape I've seen him in. And I'm sure he probably wants to get back to WWE anytime soon. (laughs) So, uh, should have ended sooner. Good competitive match, but you knew what the outcome was going to be, and it was more like a fan-friendly match for the house, I guess. Well, and I see your point, and I'll raise you a point. Now, I see your point about, yeah, they should, FTR should be stronger against a middle-card team, but if it was a really great fucking working team, I would give them the creative license to go into more things. But they knew... They should have known that they were, uh, you know, going to Las Vegas on that. The longer it went with the greener guys, the more chance they had of something not going right. And again, I think that's, uh, they're trying to be too giving and they're trying to put together classic finishes to matches that don't need to be classics and they run off and leave the other teams. And in in some cases, not in the gin and juice case, but in there was another example. God, who was it? This was probably several months ago now where they had a really good match going FTR with somebody else. But then they pressed their luck and tried to make it too complicated and ran off left the other team. I can't remember. Yeah, I can't remember either. That is something that happens sometimes because they just they they get enthusiastic. And speaking of enthusiasm, mine was waning considerably when they did a promo afterwards and said of all the titles they've won and allocades that they've been showered with and et cetera, they got one thing left to do. And then they say, young bucks. And I'm like, oh, God, 
Oh, God. How about we finish our business at Wembley Stadium? All right, if 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 FTR defends successfully against the Bucks and they win the <laughs> two out of three trilogy... That ain't happening. Then I will be more than fucking happy to suffer through that match. But if this is a goddamn now they've signed again, so we got to have belts back. And when FTR has gin and juice and has fucking at least a number of people now that they can work with prominently instead of being ashamed of getting a ring with, are the Cucamonga kids going to try to fuck this up again? I don't know about try to fuck this up. There's a difference between trying and just fucking things up. I think one of two things are going to happen. Either the Bucks are going to win the belts in Wembley Stadium so they could tell their grandkids that they won the tag team championships in Wembley Stadium from the big bad FTR, who were the bullies. And of course, they got their new deal. And FTR got a deal, you know, a little bit before this. But FTR got a new deal, too. And they want to play ball. And the only way you're going to play ball with the Bucks is if the Bucks go over. The only other option, and it's kind of the Hail Mary, FTR goes over because Punk interferes. Bucks got their new contract. They're willing to finally do some business, but... Well, that ain't happening. Yeah, I got my fingers uh, crossed on that one. Yeah, I'll tell you where I'm putting my finger on that one. That's the problem. FTR, and the truth is we don't know what that giant crowd will react to. Will be a crowd that loves FTR? Will be a Bucks crowd? Will be a dueling chant crowd? But FTR is having another year where they're tag team of the year. And I think it's probably a safe bet that another tag team doesn't like that, and they're going to do what they can to change that. Jesus Christ. Well, you know what? Uh, Our fans in the UK, across the pond there, in the vicinity and parameters of Wembley Stadium, this is something, a question we have not asked those people. What is the, the majority of the wrestling fan base in the United Kingdom these days? Is it the cosplay, trampoline, cowboy, buckaroos, cucamonga kids type of, you know, hey, let's let all our friends play and we like pockets type of fans? Or is it the, hey, FTR and Gin and Juice just had the best tag team match of modern times and we like actual fucking pro wrestling done by grown adult men crowd? Which, which side is winning that war over there in the United Kingdom? We don't I'd know. like to hear some feedback. I will say this, though. If there was ever a chance that the Bucks would do business, what better way and what better place to kick it off than Wembley, knowing that you got to heat things up for a pay-per-view the next week in Chicago? Oh, yeah, that's right. they got to come back the next week. Well, you know 50 what? 50 bucks a pop, yeah. Maybe then they can, ju- they can win it in Wembley just because they want to tell their kids and grandkids and, and take pictures and take selfies because they're children. But then they could lose it back the next week in Chicago where, you know, they're probably more likely to be on the other side of the fence because it's Chicago and that's Punk's hometown. I can't go to Chicago. My horse is sick. Come on. You can't mean to tell me that you think that one of those plastic horses that you put a dime in in front of the drugstore (laughs) is going to get sick. And that's the only one that either one of those boys have ever been on. So anyway, um, they did a Starks Punk package to explain the the main event tonight on Collision. 
And then there was Tony Schiavone, and the first thing you see is he's with Juice Robinson and that big six-foot-tall Jay White cardboard cutout. And Juice did like two lines and stole the show. And when, when Jay White came in and started speaking, I was pissed off. Because I was like, he was doing the promo that I wish Juice was still doing. And the gun boys are in there too as because they're the bang bang gang. But I love Juice Robinson. Please give him a live promo in the ring for a couple minutes so we can see what's going on there fully. Um I agree. He <clears throat> got personality. Anyway, the TBS title was on the line. Mercedes Martinez challenging Chris Statlander. And, okay, I'm going to watch this, because not only have we said that Statlander's looking like a star these days, but also Mercedes Martinez is a veteran. She knows how to work. This is not going to be, you know, Penelope Pit Stop and the fucking Twinkle Toes' Dagum Joshi crew, right? So they started with a fight, and Statlander is, is stronger. Obviously, you know, she's bigger, but Mercedes Martinez doesn't take any any guff. I think they started going a little fast at the beginning, but they settled down. And again, it was a serious fight. And now you can tell who the heel is and who the babyface is. Mercedes Martinez is ripping at the face and Chris Statlander's selling. And it, it was a match. Imagine that. They went through a break. And when they came back, Statlander was was coming back and missed a crossbody off the apron to the floor, <laughs> splat, which didn't look too comfortable. Uh, but she ended up taking back over on Mercedes and throwing her back in. And boom, 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 they went through a couple false finishes, a couple of two counts with moves, and then Statlander got a O'Connor roll up and not a bridge, but a bow backwards. I don't know. She didn't go all the way back in the bridge, but it got the point across. One, two, three. And before we talk about what happened afterwards, they can, we were just talking about this. And now we, they can have good girls matches if they concentrate on the handful that can produce and be serious and look credible. And there was nothing wrong with this thing. And it's, you know, it, it, if they would concert, if they'd weed out their roster and concentrate on, we pick these three or four top girls and we're going to rotate whoever's going to fucking put them over. They could get some individual women over instead of the women's division. Your thoughts. I don't disagree with what you're saying. And I think that's kind of, you know, when you talk about the post-match, like Willow Nightingale, there's an example of them getting a woman over as opposed to the division. And she stands out and she's different. I think with Statlander, it can be that too. You know, I think with the Britt Baker crew or whatever you want to call it, everyone over there, unfortunately, we've seen a lot of people hit their limits of what they can really do, I think, what they can really do in the ring in a lot of cases, from Ruby Soho to Britt Baker. But with a lot of these other women, whether it's a Statlander, who just continually improves from the first day we saw her. Not just in gimmick, but in terms of work, physicality, everything in there. 
Willow Nightingale. Mercedes Martinez has always been good. Uh, it's just nice when she finally gets an opportunity. But, uh, you know, I'm high on Willow Nightingale. Sky Blue, you know, despite everyone just wanting to look at her butt, she's not bad in there for someone who has very little or no she's experience. Very, she's good for that age. For that age. There's very a few, good. There's a few people like that, and you just need someone that can work with them and develop them. But the problem is, there was a lot of wrestling on. This was one of the matches I hit fast forward through a little bit. Aww. Even though I like, I'm, you know, I'm a fan of Statlanders and Mercedes is good every time I see her. I still, that's the problem in a lot of cases with the women's division. It's good that you can have a match here and it'll be a hard hitting match, but is it a part of something bigger? And I said this to you a few weeks back because someone sent me something. WWE, whatever you want to say about any of the women on that roster, they're all working with someone. They have a feud with someone. We may not like their programs, but they're programmed with someone. Every everyone. Yeah. AEW, it's just matches. And then people running around. <laughs> That's all it is. Like who's well, who's Statlander feuding with? Well, at least now we may get the start of something because on collision, imagine this. After the match, Mercedes Martinez gets back on Statlander and gets some heat on her, and Diamante. Remember, she was with LAX three years ago. Which I didn't even know she was still there. She comes out and confronts Mercedes Martinez, or confronts, yes, Mar Mercedes Martinez, and then jumps on Statlander and starts beating her up too. So then Willow comes out, and the heels bail out when Willow comes to even the odds, but they're going to have a tag match next week. Imagine that. If this was dynamite, we wouldn't see any of these people for another three months. So maybe they're trying. Yeah, and I want to see that because I like Statlander, I like Willow, and uh, they're both from Long Island, so I have to root for them. Oh, good Lord. So we'll see how that goes. All right, well, Tony Schiavone was with Tony Storm, and did you see this interview? I did, and I'm going to reiterate to you what I've been saying. Tony Storm is a star. She's great on these promos. She doesn't need any group or anyone. She needs to be on her own. She's fantastic. She's upset she lost the belt, and she's basically having a nervous breakdown, and she's flipping her lid. Have I lost it? And this was great. It was different, and she had some personality. Perhaps maybe she can forget where her other friends in this group are and just be on her own, and we would be more interested and see more of her. And then we came to Samoa Joe versus Serpentico. And I swear to God, as I was writing the words, this better be one tackle pancake, Joe threw him up in the air and dropped him down and slapped the choke on, and he tapped out in like 10 seconds. So that was perfect. That's what it needed to be, yeah. Yeah. And then Joe has a chance to do the promo, which he speaks with a conviction in his voice. And he's got, he sounds like he means what he says. And he's the king of television. He's taken one of these meaningless belts that everybody's got from Ring of Honor or AEW or New Japan or AAA or Mickey Mouse Club. But he's making it work for him by tying it into his promos and claiming something and being a fucking heel and he wants an opponent for Wembley and then he switched gears to punk and he a roll up is not good enough for our legacy and he wants a rematch with punk and if punk doesn't want to 
give him one, then next week he'll be here to convince him. So I'm, again, if we saw this on Wednesday night, we'd never see Joe again for a month and a half. So I'm anxious to see what goes on here. Should they replay more of this show on Wednesday than normal because of SummerSlam being against it? Possibly. And plus, it would be a bonus because it would be less of an actual Wednesday night that we'd have to watch, a Wednesday night show we'd have to watch. And that wouldn't be a bad idea, at least a a package where it brings everybody up to date on the happenings. And speaking of bringing up to date on Andrade did a voiceover of a package about his issue over his mask and the House of Black. I don't have any idea what he said, but he was serious about it. But could you, I cannot, I'm not even being funny now. This has gone past a bit. I don't know what the fuck he's saying. Yeah. I, at the first half of it, I thought he was speaking Spanish, and then I recognized one of the words. I don't know what he was saying, and I don't know what his problem is. He got his mask back. Who is he doing this promo against? The House of Black? He already beat them. Well, but he's not satisfied, but I don't know why. Uh, anyway, then Tony did a sit-down. Tony is around. He's, they put him in the spot you told him to put him in. But he's doing every interview now. He sat down with the acclaimed and Billy Gunn's boots. And they've tried to give Billy his boots back, but he won't take them. He's retired. He feels like it was his fault they lost the tag title. He got beat twice. He says he's done. And now they're, they're saying, well, uh, Billy, we don't want you to give up. Maybe we failed you in the trios division. The trios. Bowens cried. And Caster looks way too nerdy wearing his glasses. Did you see that? He looked like a fucking kid in goddamn in a class to be an accountant. I mean, they were uh, sympathetic baby faces in this way, so... No, they were fucking sniveling fucking nerds. Caster, the fucking rapper that comes out and has all these double and triple entendres and insinuates things and these risque raps is wearing glasses and sitting there all, you know, all nerdy. And there's Bowens legitimately emotional and crying about everything that daddy ass did for him. I think they're trying to get the acclaimed away from Billy because they've got to get away from the scissoring and they got to get away from daddy ass because they got to get back to the acclaimed and casters rapping and people liking them for them because Billy's 60 for fuck's sake. But in doing so they're instead of these cool fucking rappers, they sound like a couple of fucking whiny little bitches, don't they? I don't want to use those words, but I've questioned... I already did! I've questioned the booking of the Acclaim for a while and how they've been presented after getting over as cool baby faces. They're not cool baby faces anymore. And the idea they need to get Billy Gunn to join them again to get their mojo back, I don't like that either. And they're talking about the trio's belt, so it's not like they're moving on, and they're holding Billy Gunn's boots. They're holding his booth? What do you mean, until he gives them their deposit back, or what the... Well, he keeps trying, they keep trying to return the boots, and he says, no, you keep them. What's wrong well, with then these they're, boots? Well, then they're not holding them. He don't want them. 
Well, the point is, I do not. I like don't it. want it. You can't have it. He's too. Right. I don't like the uh, booking of the acclaimed, and I haven't in a while. They have to do something different, and you know, I, I hate every time I think somebody's gonna do something different. I say they have to turn heel, and everyone kills me. I'm not even saying it's that with the acclaimed, but they need some kind of edge on them again. Not like we're emo rappers. Well, that's what I was thinking with Billy retiring that they were doing in terms of, okay, let's focus on these guys as a team and Caster's rap as the star of the entrance and et cetera, and get away from the scissoring and the daddy ass, which was funny, but long-term ain't going to be for these guys. I thought that's what they were starting to do, but now they, they look more sniveling and craven. And then I, anyway. Moving along, here comes the Judgment Day. Oh, wait, wait a minute. I'm being what? told it's the House of Black. <laughs> Come um, on. No, they're not doing the thing where they appear and disappear. They're just, they're, they got the spooky lighting. That's fine. I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm slightly kidding now. Uh, the House of Black is not as blacky as it was when they were casting spells on people and I don't know, fucking rocking chairs, burning babies at the stake. I don't know what was going on. These fucking Satanists, you know, they, they should have done a live on location video with Julia Hart in Salem, Massachusetts. We're evil and demonic, but we speak in a very relaxing way. Yes. <laughs> that's, that's how all the English Shakespearean actors played Lucifer. To lull you. Well, you never know. It's the calm ones you got to watch, Brian. It's the calm ones you got to watch. But for the world six-man title, do you have to watch the House of Black take on Darius Martin, Action Andretti, and Shoddy Lee Johnson? And they still have not explained why Lee Johnson is apparently so shoddy. He didn't look that unkempt to me. He looked like he was grooming himself properly, but they're always calling him shoddy. This was the nine o'clock hour. They, I don't understand. I don't understand. The House of Black, yes. Six-man title, okay. But, and, I mean, I know they got to build these guys up. I wouldn't have put that on the nine o'clock hour. I'd have done something. I don't know what. But anyway, they announced the... The baby faces get to pick one of the rules, right? In the house rules matches for the six-man title. And they picked Julia Hart is banned from ringside. And the fans booed the baby faces getting the heel manager booted away from ringside. This is where we're at these days. Is she um, more over than the rest of the House of Black? Well, look at the audience. Everybody wants to look at Julia Hart, especially those folks. Um, what, are you, what are you saying about the good people of Greenville? I'm saying about the good people of AEW. I'm, is, you know, they don't see a lot of Julia Hart every day, those people. For the kind of people who like that kind of thing, she's the kind of thing those people like. No, she's beautiful and gorgeous, but here's another thing. She's not done anything to make anybody believe she's evil or make anybody mad at her. And then honestly, since they like the heels just as much as they like the baby faces, because they know this is all a bunch of fucking hokey horse shit to begin with, how are you going to get any heat on anybody? 
But that's a story for another time because the House of Black won this match in about 10 minutes, during which point I went to get strawberry cheesecake ice cream. What did you think about their match? I thought fast forward. I knew who was going to win. I, I You didn't think ice cream? No, I didn't have any more ice cream because uh, I actually wanted to order it earlier in the day, and Suzanne said I ordered too much ice cream earlier in the week, and I listened to her. Ordered it? Yeah, why, a, why don't you have some on hand in your freezer? Well, I have a place that makes fresh, a creamery nearby, and they bring oh. over fresh stuff. <laughs> What's your problem? <laughs> You're right over there? You have a creamery. Yes. You have a creamery over there. And every time you pass that creamery, there's old old Farmer Jones out there in the field, and he's milking one of them cows. And then, and one of those days, you said, you know what? I'm going to get some of that fresh milk. And you went in that field, and you milked that cow, and you drank that milk right out of the udders. And then you went to old Farmer Jones, and you said, I'd like to pay you for the fresh milk that I just milked out of that cow over there. And he said, what cow? All I see is a bull. It's like you were there. So then Tony Schiavone was in the back with Powerhouse Hobbs. Boy, you want to talk about a promo where it begins like, all right, and then instantly like, oh, fuck. Yeah, instantly. It's like, ah. Because he's standing there with Hobbs, and as he's, Tony is doing his opening statement or his opening question, QT comes in before Hobbs even says a word. And, of course, kicks Tony out and gives Hobbs the biggest, gaudiest, fake, obviously, you know, imitation gold chain ever and made a big pitch that he had fairly well memorized for a big match that I didn't get the point of what he's saying. I'm going to get you a big match, but he didn't say what the match was or really where it was or who it was against. Right. Right. And the pitch is I'll get you a big match. And if you'll just come back and love me and Hobbs takes the fake gold it would have been even better if he'd have said, dude, I'm from the hood. I see this as fucking cheesy, you know, from a mile away. But he takes the gold and blows QT off. And meanwhile, the girl, uh, QTV girl, was in the middle of them with her cartoony fake faces. And there you go. So Hobbs is still trapped in whatever the fuck this bizarro world is where people think that it's a good idea to be interacting with the people he's interacting with. I think Tony should turn Rampage into a show for like, book all these guys, QT and his crew, not Powerhouse Hobbs, everyone else. Jeff Jarrett and his crew, the Hardys. Just put all of these people- Wait, How come Jay Lethal has to get trapped over there on Poverty Row working for Monogram Studios? He needs to choose better friends, I guess. He, I don't think he's picked. I think he, I think he got placed there. Well, I think they should put all these people on one show and just let them stay there and not interfere on the other shows. Because every time QT shows up on these shows, everyone groans. And it's holding Powerhouse Hobbs back. Because even when he eventually kicks the shit out of QT, who really wants to see that now? You just want him to move on. You don't even want him to get even. There's nothing to get even over. Just move on. Yeah, I don't think anybody wants to pay to see somebody kick the shit out of QT. I think they only want to do it themselves. If they can't do it personally, they don't give a shit. Anyway, speaking of kicking the shit out of people, what was it, family night? Was it bring your fucking kids to work night? What is going on? Tony Schiavone 
was in the back with Christian Cage and Dino Douche and Christian's daughter. He, I have no reason to doubt that he said it's my daughter. I've not met his, his daughter's like, what was she, six years? You know, you know about estimating the ages of children. What is it, like seven years for every adult year? Or how is that? I have no idea what you're talking about. How old was the little girl? I have no idea. Well, how old do you estimate if you were in the at the county fair and she came up and you're in the fair. guessing booth where you guess your weight, guess your height, guess your age? What would you guess her age would be based on you've seen little girls of that age in the wild? If we were at the county fair, I'd be buying some Zeppelis. I would say between the ages of six and nine, if I had to guess. All right. So she's a very delightful little young lady. Maybe seven and nine. Seven and nine. Between the ages of seven and nine. Or she could be big for her age and be five and a half. We're not sure. But anyway, he's she's standing there in front of him. And he's talking about being a role model for children like his daughter there, unlike Darby Allen, who's a, you know, delinquent or whatever. And then, obviously, she's not a professional actress, but the kid is gotten a cue, I guess, from somewhere to go, Daddy, can I have the belt or can I hold the belt? And he tells her, no, you didn't win it, so you can't hold it. And then go, go find your mother. And as she toddles off, he says, hey, security, she's not credentialed. Kick her out of the building. <sighs> the reason why I love Christian is because he comes off as such a Bond villain heel, and he's not being funny about it. He's got a straight face, and he's saying horrible things to people, and he's very well-spoken as he does it. And he's a better worker than most people in the fucking roster, even if his age and or injuries, he don't want to do it every fucking week. And he makes the Dino, the dinosaur, the dinosaur, the dinosaur palatable, Dino. And I would believe it was some random little girl. But I don't believe, why did he have to do I don't believe that he, wa he wants security to kick his daughter out of the building. I don't actually want to think he has a daughter. Because then that indicates that he's a married man and that makes him a human being and I want him to be a fucking Bond villain on my goddamn television. This was the hokiest he's been. Yes, he's never hokey. And suddenly, here came the hoke train. <sighs> but however... You know, can I just say something? You brought, up, you brought up the families. You had Cash's mother. You had Christian's daughter. During the FTR match, they said there were, I think they said a hundred family members in the crowd, but that sounds excessive, but family. Not for the Carolinas, no, it doesn't. Apparently on Rampage, Trent's mom showed up again in the minivan. Oh, Jesus Christ. In the middle of that garbage match they had, which I heard was, I, people, it's one of those matches people are like, Jim has to watch it because he'll hate it. <sighs> I don't want to give that type of thing any more publicity. I know, but apparently it's family week in AEW is the point. Well, fam, here's what came next. Jay White with Juice and the guns in his corner against Metallic. And I, I, I like Jay and, and Juice as a team, but I want to see Juice. I want to see Juice wrestle. I want to hear Juice talk. Um, but Jay White is a good heel. He milked throwing the T-shirt to the crowd and then threw it to the, to the guns. But here's the thing. 
how many generic masked luchadors and or imitation luchadors are there in AEW? Counting the legitimate luchadors that are of Mexican descent and the imitation luchadors that are from various places in fucking Florida and Alabama, you got Serpentico, you got Fago del Sol, you got Vikingo, you got Commander, you got Gravity, you got Metallic, you got the Lucha Brothers. Have I, you've, you've, Serpentico? Well, Did you say Serpentico? I said Serpentico first. It was so long ago, that whole long <laughs> list, you forgot about it. That's right. Andre at least only has his mask on for certain occasions. He's got a face, even though we don't know what he's saying. You can identify, but all the it instead of an attraction, it's just confusing. They're all tiny, they're all in the multicolored outfits. It's a fucking cultural thing in Mexico, and the masks are trademarks and they're emblematic of that person, but to the American audience watching this television program when they are just intermittently sprinkled throughout without ever being particularly focused on, except for the Lucha Brothers. You can tell one of them from the other, not by their work, but by their outfit. It just looks like a bunch of guys in Lucha outfits running around at fucking Halloween. So I don't think that it's the way to get Jay White over as a main event heel level, whether he's a single or a tag, when he can hardly beat a small, generic, faceless gymnast. So that's my thoughts on that match. There's nothing else we could add to that match. All righty. But it's time for our main event because that's the thing. They'll get collision. It's a wrestling flavored program. They'll get you at the start with something pretty good. They will sprinkle a few things in in the middle and you know they're going to produce by the time the show is over with with the main event. And it was nice to see Jim Ross back on television. He's had problems. Apparently, now we find out the fall where he bashed his face in was due to severe sciatica where his legs gave way because I'm, I'm pretty sure that that's what was going on. You remember two years ago, Brian, when I couldn't walk for two weeks from bending over? Yeah. That was an, a flare-up of an injury that I had from my sciatic nerve. And I don't know if I would have even, even though it was very painful and awkward, I don't know if that would even be severe sciatica if a doctor diagnosed it. So severe, he's been miserable, I guarantee you. So he's had a bad back, in, a possible infection on his radiation wound from his skin cancer, and fell and gave himself a concussion. So he's been off for a few weeks. But that's what he they should do, bring him back and put him with a professional announced team that doesn't involve sock face sucking all the oxygen out of the room and let him do the main event. And that I thought was very well done. And Riggy Steamboat, the special referee on the floor, as we found out, uh, his hair is gray, but he still looks great for his, what Ricky is 70 now or gotta be right. Has to be. So he looks good, but as we mentioned, or as I just mentioned, he's the referee on the floor and they had a regular referee in the ring. 
And I don't know that the regular referee in the ring did anything that Ricky couldn't have done, to be honest with you. But uh, but it was a long match. So, but I'd probably find out Steamboat's got better cardio than everybody involved. Anyway, here comes Starks and gets lots of cheers and, you know, accolades. And then, like a Mussolini in South Carolina. Here comes Punk, and he again has a ball milking the various reactions. And he he actually he can he can play with them because at one point in this match, a couple of subtle things he was doing was making Starks the babyface and getting the people to boo him even more than the ones that were. But by the end of the thing, Starks ends up being the heel and they're cheering Punk for helping Steamboat. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. JR made the point that I think they they need to start making on all the programs, not just Saturday night, that Punk is the real world champion because nobody has beaten him. And on Wednesday night, since MJF is so popular now and the Buckaroo fans are more inclined to watch that program, That'll just get him more heat with those people. Either they did the big dueling chance, and that's this match, their main events on collision have an atmosphere. People want to see it. They want, they're not just wanting to see, we want tables, you know, we want filing cabinets, we want a credenza. They want someone in the match to do something positive, right? There's a difference in just watching a fucking display and being in support of somebody. So I don't think we need to go uh, play by play through the match because it was a long one too. They put in time on these main events, which helps that the other matches on the program are not inordinately burdensomely long. But it made sense. They wrestled. And the way that the match was constructed, they wrestled at first, then the tempers flared, and they traded slaps with each other. And But even like when, when Starks would do the steamboat arm drags and Punk would take them and then he slid out afterwards. That was a subtlety to get the people behind Starks. Punk slid out. It's just little things. And, you know, they went back and forth through a couple of different breaks. And they had a heck of a match, except at one point, it was it, it Starks usually gets a little excited in some of these big match situations, isn't it? Has he done this before? Does, has he done what before? Well, I mean, get a little excited and, and blank out, lose track. I don't remember that happening. Too quick or whatever. There's, I think there's been a time or two, but nevertheless, boom, boom, boom. Punk goes up to the top rope. And is there for a second. And is there, and there, Starks is down, right, selling. But he's up there, and then you see his lips move. He's telling Starks something, right? And then he says it again. And at that point, Starks gets up and starts coming in for a crossbody off the top rope. Apparently, it was supposed to be Starks was going to stagger up. Punk was going to crossbody him. Starks was going to roll through. And hook the leg, one, two, whatever, false finish, right? But Punk's up there, and he said something, 
He said it again as Sully Starks bolts to his feet and Punk comes off with the crossbody. And Starks was already close and Punk didn't look like he was trying to get any height. He looked like he was just trying to come off and come down on him. But Starks took another little stutter step in and then raised his arms when he realized that Punk was going to go over top of his head. So Punk went over the top of Starks' head, but Starks caught him with his right arm and it took them fucking both down. And so Stark still rolled through, but when he rolled over, he came up knees first on Punk's fucking face, apparently, it looked like. Two count. So besides that, which was unfortunate, they really had all this shit going. And boom, boom, boom. I think at, at one point, did you see where Ricky was doing the rope walk and Punk jerked him off the top rope across his shoulders into the GTS position, but Starks dropped behind. He should have put more, and I'm being this minute now because these guys are worth critiquing. It's not like it's just a complete fucking mess and there's no hope. He should have put more oomph in shoving Punk off into the post because Punk went and took a great post, but Starks just gave him a little shove and then ran to the opposite corner so he could get in position for the next charge but punk was selling the post and he didn't need to be there that quick so he should really put his follow-through a little bit better anyway boom 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 i mean it, it, they went back and forth everything worked everything looked good and then finally starks hits an alabama slam gets a two count and as they're coming up they bump the in-ring referee and Starks top spreads Punk and puts his feet on the ropes, but Steamboat on the floor knocks the feet off the ropes. So Starks turns around like, what the fuck are you doing? And at that point, Punk schoolboys him, and Steamboat rolls in and counts one, two, three. And that was a great, that, the finish was fine because that's a special referee and you're making use of him. I still can't figure out why Ricky couldn't have been in the ring up until then. I think it would have flowed a little better. But maybe he's got some kind of insurance requirements or whatever for his his hospitalization or whatever he had. Maybe he's got a policy with fucking um, uh, yeah, Lloyds of London. What'd you think of this match? I thought it was all right. Yeah, I really can't add too much to what you say. It got sloppy at a couple different points, but I thought it was all right. As far as Steamboat... Obviously, they did the referee bump that got him involved in the ring. It was either they wanted to do that spot really, really badly, or there's a reason Steamboat wasn't going to work the whole match. I mean, he looks like he's in great shape. I think he may have had some, if not heart issues, he's had issues in the past with something. No, he, he was doing something with the WWE and had a some kind of either concussion or brain thing or whatever. And that's why they, you know, he hasn't worked. But what I'm saying is I think he should have been under, even when they bumped the referee, if Ricky could have rolled in then to take over and Starks does the top spread with the feet, he could have done it from inside the ring. It, it took a second. It, I think the pop would have come a little louder and a little quicker if as soon as the schoolboy happened, if, if Ricky had been there instead of having to roll in. But anyway. The point is, now we got to do some business. 
So as Steamboat hands Punk the belt, and Punk holds his arm up and hugs him, Starks comes from behind and blisters Steamboat. And Steamboat knocks Punk off the ring. That was a nice little bing-bing. So that, and, and at the same time, Ricky didn't have to take a bump. He just went into Punk. Punk took the bump, and Ricky crumpled. And then Starks got on Steamboat, and the punches were weak, but I understand. I'm not taking off any points for that. But he got uh, Ricky's belt off and started whipping him with it. And that's what they wanted because Steamboat got to do the Ricky Steamboat selling with the body language cringing and the facials. He's not taking a bump, but he's doing the selling of the pain, which he was noted for. And that was brilliant. You see, it is like when Buster Keaton would be in a 1950s TV show and you'd get a chance to see a master at work from 30 years previously. And then Punk comes in with a chair and runs Starks off. And great deal because nothing settled. You know, Starks cheated, but Punk took advantage of a situation. Nobody's been beat flat. Uh, Starks was the heel when he left because he was beating up Ricky Steamboat in South Carolina. And then the people were chanting CM Punk, CM Punk. So they, they can... They can change course in in midstream. The punches look like shit. Yes, but it's Steamboat and he had a brain hemorrhage or whatever. Hey, listen, he's so good at selling. Starks had heat with me by the end of it. Yeah, but I I think actually he probably should have just not done punches. And so a couple of stomps would have been sufficient. The fact that they did this to Steamboat. I mean, Steamboat has to appear on TV again. This isn't a one-off thing, you would think, right? Well, I don't know, to be honest, because, I mean, it, it, it served a purpose in that Punk gets a win back over Starks, but settles nothing, and it didn't diminish Starks. They were in the Carolinas. Steamboat works there for the live audience. I don't know if you want to bring him back and program him. You know, unless there's, a, I mean, another interview appearance or something else where you know, Starks might get involved with him or whatever, but I don't think it's going to be an ongoing situation. I don't think it's called for again, but if they have an idea in mind, you know, I wouldn't be opposed to it, but I don't think it's going to go on long-term. All right, well, that was Collision. And we collided with Collision, but you know what, Brian, the thing is, at this point in time, it's a Saturday night, and now it's it's past 10 o'clock Eastern time. And we've still got SummerSlam to go. It's time to start drinking. Because you got to modify your mood. You got to modify your mood. You got to give yourself a little hope to go on. And I'm not talking, I'm not talking about the strong stuff, folks. I'm not talking about going out and getting some of the old homicide, that 150 proof stuff. I'm not talking about setting fire to some Everclear. I'm talking about enjoyable, sociable, alcoholic beverages for adults in the way of wine. Personalized wine boxes delivered on your schedule to your home, to your taste and your preferences, courtesy of our brand new friends at First Leaf. Now, I know when you you hear First Leaf, you might think, 
that they're involved in some other kind of business like gardening, but that is not the case, folks. You love First Leaf because they make it super easy to get personalized wine boxes delivered on my skin. When you pull the wine out of the box, Brian, you'll see it's personalized. It has Brian Last or Jim Cornette or whatever your name is right on the bottle. And it says Vintage Tuesday. Keep going. I want to see where else you're going to go with this. Well, see, that's the box that I, I think they just got me a special box. Really? That's what it is. That's very nice but no, of them. It's summertime. Yes. And you got, you got family fun going on, family vacations, camping trips, pool parties, barbecues. And if you're going to have that many kids around you, you've got to have alcohol in stock. For all the adults, you got to have some great wine at the ready. And plenty of it, folks. So right now, the people at First Leaf are stomping the grapes just for you, and they're getting all these rosés and white wines and terrific reds and sparkling pinks and all the different kinds of wine. And what you do is you go to try, T-R-Y, firstleaf.com, tryfirstleaf.com, and you just answer questions about your likes and dislikes, what you like the taste of, what you don't. For example, if you like the sparkling wines and the rosés and the the various fruity flavors, you would say that. If, if you don't like the taste of battery acid, put that down. They will not send you any wine with battery acid in it. That's a guarantee. Yes, because they, they don't want to send you anything you don't want. They're big on customer service. But again, if, if you want battery acid, I guess they'll do their best. But most surgeon no. generals over the last 20 years have, have recommended you cut down on your consumption of battery acid. I'm pretty sure the side effects of death may prevent them from using battery acid in any of the wonderful wines you can get from tryfirstleaf.com, of course, slash JCE. Wonderful reds and whites and all sorts of other yes. things you can get. Colors, all the colors of the rainbow. And and you're right, acid is somewhat, does have implications on your health. Do they have any blue wine? There's no blue food. I've seen sparkling pinks and rosés and reds and whites, but is there blue wine? Seems like with the blueberries and the raspberries, you'd have the blues and the purples. We'll come back to that. Again, it's tryfirstleaf.com slash JCE because you got to slash that JCE because when you sign up, you're going to get your first six hand-curated bottles of any type of wine that you want for just $44.95. Your personalized wine shipments are delivered right to your door. So you, and be careful now, keep an eye out because you can schedule these things when you want them. Let's say you're going to go out, visit your parole officer. You're afraid that the wine is going to come while you're gone and some porch pirate or turd burglar or whoever they are is going to steal it. Well, no, because you can schedule these the day that you're in-home incarcerated, so you will not miss the delivery. And you can just kick back and enjoy them right there. Everybody wants to be a wino, and every selection is backed by First Leaf's 100% satisfaction guarantee. So go to tryfirstleaf.com slash JCE. When you sign up, you're going to get your first six hand-curated bottles for just $44.95. They hand-curate the bottles, Brian, but the wine, they just get a big vat, and they just kind of get a 
one of those funnels and just pour the wine out of the vat into all the different hand curated bottles. But it, it's delicious. It's delicious and there's no big vat involved. It's big well, taste what, and wonderful wine coming to you from tryfirstleaf.com slash well, JCE. If the wine is hand curated, wouldn't they say six hand curated bottles of wine instead of just six hand curated bottles? Am I playing semantics here with their curation? Possibly. Well, therefore, folks, check it out for yourself. Make your own decisions. You be the judge. Try firstleaf.com slash JCE. You're going to get your first six bottles for under $8 a bottle. My God, that's cheaper than Thunderbird. That's cheaper than Ripple. Do you know what you get, Brian, when you cross eggnog with Ripple? No. Egg nipple. Do you know what you get when you cross <laughs> champagne with Ripple? No, what? Shampipple. <laughs> Tryfirstleaf.com slash JCE. But are they drinking plenty of wine over there at the Arcadian Vanguard Network these days, Brian? Some of the hosts are. Some of them aren't. But we will not disclose that here. But you can find out more on the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network and information about all the shows on Twitter at Super Podcasts or on Facebook at facebook.com slash Arcadian Vanguard. It's one of those moments, I don't know if there's too much noise behind me or no noise behind me. I hear nothing. Well, then I speak of nothing, but let me tell you about what's going on this week. Of course, the wrestling news. Each and every day, get your free daily wrestling newscast. All the news, none of the opinion. Get it today for free. TheWrestlingNews.com or wherever you find your favorite podcast. Look for Arcadian Vanguard's the wrestling news. Want to make mention of this week's episode of Shut Up and Wrestle with Brian Solomon. His guest, Jessica, the daughter of Bobby the Brain Heenan. Yes, I, I retweeted this. I haven't had a chance to listen, but I want to. We want to thank Paul Heyman for helping promote it this week. <laughs> but hear the daughter of the brain, hear all about Bobby the Brain Heenan, the man outside the ring. Check this out today, a really great episode. SUAWpod.com or look for Shut Up and Wrestle with Brian Solomon wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And of course, the 605 Super Podcast, The Mothership! <laughs> Go through the archive today at 605pod.com or available wherever you find your favorite podcasts, The Mothership. Whew. Well, I know why they call it SummerSlam now. Because it starts on Memorial Day and it doesn't finish up until Labor Day. Was this a long program or was it just me? It was long, but then the main event made it much, much, much longer, especially if you watched <laughs> it live. If you watched it live, it was unbearably long. I didn't watch it live. I watched Collision on a slight tape delay. I watched SummerSlam this morning on the cock as I mentioned, because it wasn't available on pay-per-view real television here in the Louisville metropolitan area, thanks to Spectrum. And what's the other Paul brother's name? His boxing match. Jake Paul. Um, yeah, well, fuck him. Because of him, I didn't have any on-screen fast-forward. You can't even order it. Like, if you're going to watch it the next day in the morning, there's no replay to order, even if it's not airing no, live? No, no. Wow. No, you can order the replay of the boxing match that was... <clears throat> anyway, so I got it on the Coxter, and 
again, there's no on-screen fast-forward, so I figured it's a four-hour and ten-minute presentation on Peacock. But without entrances and whatever they jam in between the matches, I think it probably only lasted about two and a half hours. But trying to guess takes a bit of a, a, a bit of time. But I was on a deadline. So I was able to skip Kid Rock's dirty, straggly-haired, leather-faced fucking cold open. Maybe they'll have a cell for him next to his beloved criminal insurrectionist. But the first match, and we knew this because Logan had to go to Jake's boxing match in Vegas, was Logan Paul against Ricochet. And I will make the comment that the stadium looked fantastic. They do a wonderful job of dressing a set. Once again, no big stage. Yes, because they have people now that they can actually put in these places. For, you know, some time there, it was a little dodgy. But, you know, I've had, I've heard people on Twitter saying that, well, is Logan Paul even better at this stage of the game than Kurt Angle, right? Is Logan Paul the most phenomenal wrestling prodigy? And I'm not knocking him. I like him. I think he's a great heel. I think if he had started at 20 years old training to wrestle and gone to OVW or been in a territory where there were veterans to teach psychology, that by this point right now, he might be one of the best ever in the ring. But he's doing the stuff that he can do and he does it very well, and he's incredibly athletic. But the difference in Logan Paul and Kurt Angle or some other prodigy, The Rock or whatever at this point, they were learning to work versus Logan Paul has come in to do the special matches, and he learns more. He trains to do these things rather than it's a difference of you can, you got a great voice, you can sing a song somebody else wrote, or you can write new songs. Logan Paul has trained to where he can sing excellently, but I don't know because he hasn't really gone to wrestling school and started from scratch and been involved that he could write his own song. Does that make any sense? I think so, and I don't think that's a problem exclusive to him. I think a lot of people, unfortunately, that we see on TV sometimes have that problem. And, you know, and that's a, but the, Logan Paul makes the tumbling look more violent than Ricochet even does. You know, that's, and that's the thing. That's what I, the drawback when this match was announced to me is that you got Logan Paul. He's a celebrity. He can do all this shit. They made it work with him and Roman Reigns, right? He's worked against some main event guys as Seth Rollins, and they made it plausible. But he, if you, when you just put him against a guy that, and Ricochet is the best at what he's doing. He's the best, uh, you know, combative parkour practitioner. But when you put Logan Paul against a middle card guy and sell it that they're going to do stunts, I think it diminishes Logan Paul's potential drawing power. Even though he, you know, he won in the, he fucked him in the end. He's still a heel. But I love him as a personality. I want to see him versus a main event guy in a personal issue, not a mid-card babyface in a match where the selling point is we're going to do a bunch of wild stunts with each other. 
And Ricochet, as I said, is very good at what he does. He doesn't have much in the way of personality. It's not like Rey Mysterio where he had the cool fucking mask and he was just so far head and shoulders above everybody else doing that type of thing. Everybody does that type of thing now. So the kids can love Ricochet's gymnastics. He can sell merchandise, but he's not going to be in the main event at WrestleMania or in Saudi Arabia or at SummerSlam or at probably the Survivor Series or the Royal Rumble. Anyway, it was all done very well. It was a modern indie-style match with guys that can nail all the, the moves. And, but Logan Paul has more than that. His timing on kickouts at two, the facial expressions, the body language, you see he gets the business both in terms of how to hype a fight and how to make people dislike him and be a heel. So, you know, I'm not denigrating his performance there. But finally, you can't really describe this match because it was a series of athletic moves, many requiring cooperation, but it was done in a violent style and it was about as, as good as you could do that type of thing. And then some unidentified stooge of Logan Paul's gave him a set of brass knuckles and he knocked the guy out with him. One, two, three. Help me. I liked it for what it was, and it was an opening match. I asked if he would get potatoed, and he did. He had a <laughs> little mouse under his eye. Ricochet heard you. I think Logan Paul is so impressive. And I think, you know, part of it is he has a he has like almost like a perfect frame where he's not bulky, but he's big. Yeah. Sometimes you worry with the way he bumps and he's going to get hurt, but he does all these bumps and he takes all these moves. And, you know, Kurt Angle, we got to see exhibiting a lot of wrestling before we started seeing crazy high spots and stuff from him. Right. Because eventually we did. I mean, he got moonsault off the top of the cage. Logan Paul, we really haven't seen him have that opponent for that match. So we'll see where they go from here. I can't imagine. Well, that, that, that's the thing is he would be at a disadvantage there because that takes wrestling and smooth wrestling and athletic professional wrestling takes the basics and takes training and takes a lot of experience it's not as easy to do as it's not it's not easy to do these fucking flips and all this shit but if you're a gymnast it is but gymnasts can't still can't learn to wrestle in fucking 15 minutes you know that's the thing is that logan paul has all the tools to where if he was like Angle, where not only did he have an extensive amateur wrestling background, but then he went and started training in the pro style under veterans that knew what the fuck they were doing. His basics were great pretty much from the start. But but at the same time, there was, there was no way that Kurt Angle was going to be doing a buckshot lariat over the top rope to the fucking floor like Logan Paul. Yeah, how about that, that doesn't mean that Kurt Angle couldn't fucking stretch Logan Paul wrestling. It's two different things as impressive as that is and you know good luck hangman as impressive <laughs> as that is that has to kill his knees i mean god damn i couldn't believe that but he's he's, he's got the size and like like you said he's got all the little things just the when they do a close-up of his face he's a heel you'll want to see him get his ass kicked so i think he's great i want to see them do more with him 
it seems like every match, some friend of his that we don't know from social media <laughs> interferes on his behalf, and then it's a different one the next time. That's right. It was last time it was a guy wearing a mascot's outfit or something. Yeah. Oh, so we'll see what happens. But fine as an opening match, and it was a hot crowd, and they were into it, and uh, he got to fly off and see his brother win. Well, and you know, Brock had to be going to the ring next for his match with Cody pissed off because he lost the fucking fight over going on first because he didn't have a brother in a boxing match in Vegas. He just had to go home to a sick cow in Saskatchewan. Once they found out everyone's takeoff times, they booked the show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've never seen people getting the, because that they said it again. Yeah, Brock Lesnar held up, you know, Cody's arm and left the building and flew back home. These people are not going to stay to change clothes. They want to get the fuck out of there. So it was Cody versus Brock. And obviously we know the backstory and we've talked about it. And, and we had not necessarily predicted or surmised, but just said, Cody needs to fucking beat him one, two, three here, or we don't know what the fuck's going to go on. So, and normally recently especially with other opponents besides Cody it's been with Brock the you know eight minute match where everybody just hits everybody with 14 German suplexes and then somebody gets f5 five times or whatever but this was allowed more time because Cody is such a good selling baby face you feel like he's in pain he looks like he's disoriented he fucking he looks pitiful, as Aunt Lola used to say. Just pitiful. A modern version of his dad. Yes. Who, even Dusty's frame didn't project fragility, but the way that he sold, he was in pain, he was hurt, he was, you know, fighting for his life. And, and that's the thing. Again, they started out, but they didn't go 100 miles an hour. And they, Cody would fight back from underneath or hit a dive or whatever, but then Brock would take back over. And Brock is a tremendous heel. He's dominant and he's powerful and he's aggressive and he's fearsome. And Cody sell, was selling like Ricky Morton. And so you got a baby face in jeopardy against a dominant monster that suplexed him all over the place, but he keeps getting up and won't quit. And that was, and Brock is screaming, save yourself. It's only going to get worse. And Cody would keep crawling back. And, you know, here's the, I, this, it's no secret as we'll go through this, you'll figure it out. This was my pick for best match of the night because Think about everything that this match had that none of the other matches had. This was a one-on-one -on -one match. It was a grudge match with a personal issue. They didn't use the fucking furniture. They kept the floor to a minimum. They did use the furniture in terms of getting F5'd on the desk, but I mean, there wasn't furniture in the ring. They kept the floor to a minimum. They were serious about what they were doing. There wasn't ridiculous cooperation involved it checks all the boxes of you know they didn't need juice because there was already aggression and violence so it was an actual wrestling match as opposed to 
We're going to use every piece of furniture in a goddamn, you know, furniture liquidators warehouse, or we're going to ignore every rule, or it's a three-way, or it's fucking some kind of goddamn gimmick fucking clusterfuck. Were you surprised there was no blood? Um, it, well, no, not really. I, I don't automatically think, well, with Brock and Cody, there's going to be juice. Maybe as a byproduct of the physicality, but it didn't really need it with what they did. So I wasn't surprised that there wasn't any, and I didn't miss it once I saw what they did. And, you know, when, when Brock would take Cody out and F5 him on the floor, boom, but tell him stay down and he'd get back in the ring and Cody would beat the count just barely. And so he did it again with the F5 on the announce desk and smashed that thing. But Cody just at nine and a half, he got back in and the fans start chanting, Cody, Cody. And they did the deal where the buckle pad got ripped off when Brock had Germaned him and Cody took the pad with him. Cody did use the stairs when he hit him with them once. I don't, if it was, is it no DQ or were they just letting them play? I don't know, but that's the only thing I saw where they really might have buried the referee badly. It was tribal council rules. Well, no, we'll get to that. <laughs> I'm sorry to say. And then Cody makes comeback, gets a couple Cody cutters, gets a two count. He's still in the ball game, but Brock gets the Kimura. The double wrist lock, and Cody sells it, but finally he gets the ropes. And then Cody slips the F5 and runs Brock into the bare buckle that it had been, been exposed minutes before. And Cody gets the Kimura. And Brock breaks it, and Brock goes for another F5, and Cody drops behind again and grabs the crossroads, and boom, but comes right up in a second crossroads, boom, and comes up in a third crossroads, boom, and covers him. One, two, three. It wasn't a squash match. We never said we needed that. It wasn't a fucking fluke. We said we couldn't have another one of those. He had to walk across hell, Cody did, to get the win, and then he hit his finish on the guy three times in a row in quick succession and covered him and beat him one, two, three. And that's exactly what they needed. But that was the match of the night because it meant something. It didn't have all the modern gaga. And the people wanted to see Cody slay the, the beast, the monster. If it was in AEW, his mom would have come out of the crowd to give Brock Lesnar a hurricane rana. <laughs> no, I agree with you. Cody had the win. He had to. And I guess the bigger story is apparently Brock Lesnar on his own decided before he went to the airport to go and embrace Cody, shake his hand, and raise his hand to all four sides of the ring. Put his arm around him like we've rarely seen Brock Lesnar do. Yeah. Did it on his own, wasn't told to. What does that tell you? I think it tells, well, a couple of things. I mean, he's got to, he's got to respect Cody for what they've done and for what Cody has done, these three matches, and he's put more... He's put more heat and spotlight on Brock than Brock's had in a while with this angle because people were interested in it. Uh, so I think he appreciates Cody's, you know, work in this. Also, I think that pretty much indicates that we're not going to have another match or at least it's not in the foreseeable future because Brock took the opportunity to do something like that here. That means they're probably not coming back against each other anytime soon. 
And it may indicate that Brock just decided, you know what? I don't know what where he's at on his current deal or whether he's going to get renewed or whether he's up for renewal or what he wants to do in the future, but he either may say, I don't want to do this anymore entirely, or he may want to be a babyface again. And he may have been leaning people in that direction. He seemed like he was having a ball as a babyface earlier this year, like we've never seen him before yeah. on camera. And I asked you, I think, in yesterday's recording, do you think they come out of this as friends so he has someone as an ally to fight against the bloodline or whoever he has to go through to get the belt? Now at least that is a possibility. Well, I wouldn't say I told you so real quick. I don't know that it's going to be any tag team matches with Cody and Brock coming up in right. the near future, but... I'm not saying that. Yeah. But, you know, all of a sudden there's a pay-per-view and, you know, months down the line he's outnumbered. Who could he call on? He can call Brock Lesnar now. Well, that's only if Brock gave him his number. <laughs> well, he can go through Heyman. Oh, well, now, and then there's 30% off the top. <laughs> 30%? I heard it was a 60-40 split. No, that's only with Live One. Oh, okay. All right, but anyway, great deal. Great deal with Cody and Brock and a nice little trilogy there. And then hey, we go, go ahead. Real quick, because you just said that at the end, whether it's the FTR, Juice, Robinson, Jay White matches or now FTR and the Young Bucks, and now this, what do you think about the general idea that it seems everything now, every feud is a trilogy, every feud is a three-match series? Well, it, it, no, it doesn't necessarily seem like that because in AEW, you might not live long enough to get that third match because Tony's attention span is so conflicted. <laughs> but with the, with the main event guys, that's kind of necessary because you want to make sure that, uh, let's say for you've got Undertaker and Stone Cold Steve Austin. Right? If Undertaker beats Austin, well, that question has been answered. And, you know, if you leave it there, people in there, my Undertaker was better than Austin. But then if you have a rematch and Austin wins the next one, well, okay, they're on the same fucking level. And then if you have the rubber match, which everybody obviously wants when people are one and one, then somebody's got to win in the end. But at the same time, you, the way you can work finishes, it still looks like they're on uh, fucking par with each other. If somebody just wins a match and the other guy never gets a response, we've settled that question. So even back in the territory days, it just wasn't as obvious because programs went even longer than two out of three. They'd go five matches or ten matches or whatever the fuck. No, that's an old Vince Sr. Garden thing. But, well, in the territory, in the WWF territory days, yes, they would get, well, not everybody. Because remember, Patterson's the only one who got four. What we're talking right. about is not a, everybody. Heel, a heel would come in and get, if he was a top heel, three shots at the title against Bruno or Pedro in the garden. Patterson was the only one that ever got four. A lot of only got one or two. A really top heel got three. But remember, that wasn't a two out of three. That was the first time stopped on blood. Right. Or first time curfew draw or second time count out. But in the, like in Florida or in some of the, you know, NWA territories, yeah, you would, they kept track of wins and losses. St. Louis was a big 
a big place that uh, a rubber match like two out of three would have been would have been promoted because they would make a big deal out of the previous record win loss record of the wrestlers and against each other as well as against everybody but point is it doesn't it doesn't always have to be two out of three but a lot of times to to get the the main event guy to agree to do a job he has to know that there's he's getting his win back in the future and then if there's business if those have done business everybody wants a third and then they work it out but it keeps everybody in in the same same place the best story is when Shawn michaels was booked to work with hulk hogan and Shawn michaels had it laid out where it was like he was going to win the first match and then you know whatever something would happen and hogan would win in the end and hogan because who's a better manipulator than Shawn Michaels? <laughs> Only Hulk Hogan. Hulk is like, how about this? I beat you in the first match. I beat you in the second match. And then I beat you again in the third match. And uh, that's why Shawn Michaels had a little hissy fit in the ring and did all those ridiculous bumps. But it was an interesting, uh, it was an unconventional way to approach the angle. I'll just win everything. <laughs> anyway. That's speaking- Hulkamania. That's the power of Hulkamania. <laughs> Speaking of winning everything, I guess our boy now is going to win everything. We had the SummerSlam Battle Royal, and I will be perfectly honest, it's a fucking Battle Royal. So let's get to the meat of the matter. Did you see the video they did like to show other Battle Royals and they included Royal Rumble footage? Well, yeah, because they had to have something that looked uh, different than 15 or 20 people just trying to (laughs) waste time and throw everybody out. But we got to the last three. AJ Styles, LA Knight, and our boy Seamus. And Karrion Cross helped eliminate AJ. And then it was the LA Knight show. He got to hit his power slam and the elbow drop. Got a huge reaction. And then they went back and forth for a minute. And then LA Knight did the leap to the top and hit it. And of course, I'm... I'm sure he was happy that Michael Cole, I think it was, said, well, work this time. Same guy, too. Seamus. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it would just, we've seen him hit it a bunch, and he wouldn't be trying it on live TV if he didn't hit it predominantly, you know, the majority of the time. It just, things happen. But anyway, he hit that, and then, boom, the clothesline, and Seamus went over the top, and L.A. Knight won the SummerSlam Battle Royal, and the people loved it because it's L.A. night. But they they just decided, okay, it took us three or four months to hear this, but we'll put this guy over now. He's selling merch, wins the Battle Royal. People usually don't care about Battle Royals. Big pop. If he didn't win, there would have been a problem. If Sheamus had won, it would have killed everyone. But he won. People went crazy. He's a part of the new Slim Jim campaign. It seems like maybe they realized they got something. Let's run with it. Is this the biggest reversal of fortune since Crazy Legs Conti lost the hot dog eating competition on the technicality to Joey Chestnut? <laughs> that <laughs> that we go from what was his name, Max Dupree, to the that that we were hoping that someone would euthanize him for the sake of everyone including himself and now six months later la knight is the the darling boy of the uh, wrestling ring he overcame the dupree family modeling agency i don't know what happened to those models because the model girl's now with alpha academy i don't know where 
soiree and mansoir are. They, they couldn't keep a guy or a girl, could they? Well, they're missing in action, but he started with that. What did they hit him with next? Bray Wyatt. And he somehow survived that. He's the first guy to survive a feud of Bray Wyatt to come out for the better on the other side. And I think that says something. People really turned on Bray Wyatt after that. They were really sick of him because they wanted LA Knight to be used better. And that was the beginning of the year, right? That was like Royal Rumble. Yeah. So it's just been this slow build. Again, we keep hearing about the t-shirt sales. I don't know if he has any figures yet out on the market, but this is someone who is getting one of the biggest reactions every show he's on. And people want to see him. They look forward to seeing him. He's got his, uh, not the people's elbow. I don't know what the hell it is. It looks better than the people's elbow. It actually hits like an elbow. The LA elbow. Well, there it is. He's got it over. He's got everything he's doing over. So, but they seem to finally be embracing that. So it's nice to see. Well, speaking of embracing things, we will come to now the battle of former friends who don't embrace each other any longer because they hate each other and wanted to fight. Ronda Rousey and Shayna Baszler, did they tell us in the pre-match publicity that this was an MMA rules match, knockout or submission? No, and they aired that video I told you was so great. They aired it before the match. That video about their whole background, they got you pumped up for it. I'm thinking, man, they could work a real hot match and just kick the shit out of each other. Nowhere in that did they say it would be MMA rules. No. No. But then why? This whole thing, well, the audience reaction told the story. Because this was actually one of the best female wrestling matches I've ever seen, and nobody gave two shits about it. because. They First of all, I don't think that anybody ever, they didn't see it coming because it came out of nowhere that Shayna just tackled Ronda from behind and kicked shit out of her. Then for a week or two there, we weren't sure who was supposed to be the sympathetic babyface figure in this. And then they did the sit down that aired, was it on Raw? Yeah, five days yeah, before the- Yeah, uh, it was on Raw. Five days before the big match, they did the sit-down that you liked that I missed again because I was skipping the entrances in this fucking thing and I had no on-screen fast-forward. But they didn't mention the stipulations of the match until the match got in the ring and was introduced and then they gave the stipulations. And combine that with the fact that nobody has given a shit about Ronda Rousey uh, pretty much for months now because this last run has she's looked like she didn't care and didn't want to be there. We've said that many times. The people just sat there and they didn't give a shit about this, did they? The one time she really puts her heart and soul in something and tries to do something because it's with her best friend and people are over her already. Remember it came the, out of nowhere. It came out of nowhere. Yes. Again, they were a tag team. They've been friends. They were a tag team. They rushed a breakup. And then we ended up here with a stipulation that was never announced. How are they supposed to react? No one's expecting this kind of match. They've done nothing to get this kind of match over. All of a sudden... None of the angles were, you know... Yeah, all of a sudden it's the Gene LaBelle classic. <laughs> but besides that, think about this. Remember when Ronda made her debut several years ago, whatever year it was, 
at WrestleMania in the mixed tag and everything she did tore the house down because she was a star then. And everything in that first run that was about a year, she was one of the biggest stars in the in the company, male or female. Well, the other thing, and we're going to be honest, Shayna Baszler is good at what she does, but she's not the heel Stephanie McMahon is. Well, that that's where I was going with this. But then on this last time, Ronda came back having pissed off wrestling fans to begin with and said a bunch of shit while she was out. Then she comes back and looks like at various points in time, she doesn't want to be there or there ain't nothing to the promo or the match. And meanwhile, Shayna Baszler has been marketed on and off as one of the girls. And everybody knows from the, you know, from their history that they're friends. But Shayna has not been pushed as a single at the level of Ronda. The people kind of turned on Ronda because they didn't sense she wanted to be there to begin with. And so they didn't really care that Ronda and Shayna were fighting each other in any style. And we got this. <laughs> and that's, yeah, it was an indictment of Ronda Rousey and the angle and, uh, you know, just lack of interest from the people in these personalities because it was one of the most realistic girls matches I've ever seen. But the fans could give a shit if Ronda burst into flame. They were working a, a shoot kind of grappling MMA hybrid match. And doing it there was some stiff shit going on and they were working their ass off <laughs> and the people were sitting there and the crickets were chirping and i was right just go home i'm embarrassed for you and finally shana choked her out and shana won and it was one of the better worked shoots for the time it was in there that you will see and it's not that the people don't understand wrestling when brock or Cody got a double wrist lock on the other one, the place came apart. It's because they cared what those two were doing. So people are, again, I saw people on Twitter were like, well, this crowd just didn't like wrestling. No, they didn't like the wrestling these people were doing because it was these people. That's what I think. And this booking. Well, yeah, because they had been made to be meaningless and the issue was confusing. Yeah, I mean, they, you, would, you know, you, you would think this would be the stipulation in the third match, maybe, and you would get there somehow, so it made sense. They rushed right to it. We'll see if we ever see Ronda again. You know, the highlight of this match for me was seeing Jose Ramirez knock out Tim Anderson during the baseball <laughs> game. <laughs> that would happen in the middle of this. You had to get that one in. Yeah, it was the same time. This was boring the shit out of me because I was like, "What the fuck's happening here?" And then the real action was happening in the White Sox Indians game. Which did you have on the small screen and which on the big screen? I had Peacock on the TV because I could actually just say it into my remote Xfinity because they own Peacock. It's Comcast. Yeah. It comes on the TV. And then I had all of a sudden Twitter started blowing up with all the White Sox Indian stuff. And then the commentary version came out. And then the slow-mo version came out. <laughs> it was great. It was a wonderful night of baseball action. This is why baseball's the best. All right. Well, speaking of baseball action, we're going back to... Summer Slam. Gunther versus Drew McIntyre. And this is, again, I have nothing bad to say about Gunther. I just love watching this guy because he, again, he reminds me of a Gene Kaniski. 
a fucking old-fashioned athlete that'll beat the shit out of you. And But at the same time, we've talked about this. What's different about Drew? What's new about Drew? Cody has gotten massively over because he can talk and he has that twinkle in his eye and he can sell his ass off. Drew's big, he's strong, he does a decent promo. It, it's I've seen a lot of him for a few years now. They had a slobber knocker, but th this is a Raw match without commercials, is it not? Because don't we see these guys wrestle on Raw quite often? Or matches like this? Or matches like this. It feels like it. The, the It's not particularly new. There's nothing going wrong. There's nothing bad about it. But it, the crowd is not going batshit. And... You know, I, th I think Gunther, again, is more efficient and more meaningful against a smaller baby face that he can bully and make fight from underneath, and you've got that dynamic. McIntyre's as tall and got a better body than Gunther. Gunther's a much better worker, than, and that's not a knock because Gunther's a better worker than all but, like, three guys on the fucking roster. But they... They laid shit in. They meant it. Um, it was physical. And finally, Drew got crotched on the top rope when they were fighting on the buckle, and Gunther hit a splash off the top and then spun him into a powerbomb, one, two, three. And it was good, and it was physical. It didn't tear the house down, but they're at least protecting Gunther's powerbomb. Anything to add? Not really. Drew McIntyre... You know, I hate to say maybe he could use a few months off or a while off. and Didn't he just have a few months off? I guess he, I think he did. I mean, that's the problem. He, he, he comes did, back he and he like feels the creative. same. He didn't like his creative. He wanted to sign a new deal. He wanted to know what he was doing and like it. Well, apparently they told him what he was going to do and he, he better like it. You know, he's at that stage now, like, you know, the mighty Hercules in 1989. Like, they have to do something. He's got a good body. He's in good shape. He's as, almost as big as Hogan. But he loses a lot. and. uh He's not there. They got to do something with Drew or they got to, or he's got to do something. I don't know. It just is nothing happening with him. Him and Sheamus are the guys that really feel the stalest to me. Sheamus has been there forever. He's been there for like 15 fucking years. Yeah. I mean, think about this. You, he, in the, again, in the territory days, you only saw a guy for five or six years straight in a territory if he was the fucking local top star and owned part of the company. Otherwise, guys changed every three months, six months, year, whatever. You know, the other day, I actually went back and watched some of SummerSlam 89, because that was the first one I ever watched live as a kid. And watching the event, it's amazing how many of the guys on that show I think of as, you know, when I think of them, I think of their WWF run as being the biggest thing of their career. And they were there for like two years, three years. Yeah. That was it. And then they were, you know, in the territories before that. And then they went somewhere, either Japan or WCW or the Indies or nowhere after that. But their run was relatively short. Now you see all these guys with decade-long runs. It's incredible. But it's not always good for keeping the product fresh. How can I miss you if you won't go away? And we can apply that, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, to the next match on SummerSlam for the number three world title. Seth Franklin Rollins against Finn Balor. And again, 
two great technical workers, two real good athletes. They're not going to do anything embarrassing, well, except for Seth's gimmick. But they're not going to do anything physically embarrassing, sloppy, bad. They start out at the bell 100 miles an hour with a hockey fight and the fans singing the whoa. But they're, it's not going to... It's not going to stink, but it's a raw match without commercials. It's what we see on television weekly. And, you know, I kind of zoned out. They worked hard. They were serious. They weren't screwing anything up. I don't really care because, again, it's a, just a world title they just made up. And we've seen Seth and Finn interact on a number of occasions. and. I I really had vacuuming to do. We have company coming tomorrow. That, and you know, and at one point Finn buckle bombed Seth into the barricade, and 15 seconds later, Seth was super kicking him. So they did this for quite a while. I mean, before we get to the finish, did I miss anything? I'm in the same boat as you with this match and these two guys. You know, not to take away anything from the talent that they obviously have, but how many times? I'm just not interested in this match. And Rollins came out there looked like he raided Charo's closet. It's ridiculous. <laughs> now, wait a minute. That that outfit cost Xavier Cougat a ton of money. <laughs> very good. Very good. Uh, but no, I just, I couldn't, and you know, until the judgment day ran in. And then you want to see what's going to happen. And it's almost like a mini bloodline. I care more about the angle than I do the actual match here. Well, yeah, and that's basically what happened. Finn... Misses the double stomp, and Seth hits a pedigree and gets a two count, and here comes Priest with the briefcase to the ring. And then it started getting a little complicated, because Finn kicks Seth off into the ropes, and Priest is on the floor there and punches him. Boom, and Seth falls into the pedigree. Oh, shit, that's it. No, a two count. And then Priest makes a big show of waving Dominic and Rhea to the ring so they can draw the referee. And Priest gives the case to Finn, but he won't take it. He doesn't want it. He argues with Priest and gives the case back. And then Seth nails Priest and hits the curb stomp on Finn, but only gets a two count. That would have been a nice little finish there. Then... Seth dives on Priest and curb stomps Dominic on the floor and rolls back in, but Finn hits a drop kick in the double stomp and gets a two count. And now that he can't beat him with the double stomp, then that's when Finn tells Priest something and Priest <laughs> leaves the case in the ring and goes around to draw the referee. And this time Finn goes for the case, but then Seth... <laughs> fucking hits him with the curb stomp as he's picking it up with his face on the case. Your face is on the case. And that was one, two, three. So what? Finn didn't want to cheat, but then he changed his mind because he couldn't win. And Priest is in, is pissed at him because he wouldn't take the help that he tried to give him. And the announcers were disagreeing over who was trying to do what. What happened here? Again, it got really weird and confusing when he ha when Damian Priest runs out there and he's got the briefcase, which means he can cash this in against whoever the champion of this match is to try to win the belt. 
And he's giving it to Bauer. Bauer's like, what the fuck? And he's like, I'm trying to help you. I'm trying. Why would yeah, you use that, this? That was a quote. I'm trying to help. Use this. It will help you win. Yeah, why and this? I think that's where I heard the announcer say, is he trying to cash in? I'm like, what the fuck is going on here? Yeah, it was a bit convoluted there. And uh, I care more about whatever drama there is with the Judgment Day than Rollins winning. And I'm not a fan of this Rollins gimmick, as you know. <sighs> All righty then. Well, speaking of not being a fan of gimmicks and not really caring whether somebody won or not, the women's world title, one of the women's world titles, the one that Rhea Ripley doesn't have, with Charlotte versus Bianca versus Oscar. And, of course, Oscar the champion. Bianca was mad because she got screwed out of her chance to try to get it back because Charlotte came in and. That's why all three of them are going at it. It's a triple threat match. It's a three-way. I don't like that, whether it's men, women, or Dalmatians. And even though I like Charlotte and Bianca has grown on me, and I will even admit that Oscar ain't as bad as what we see in AEW, I don't want to see a three-way. And does, did it need to be t over 20 minutes long from bell to bell? Probably didn't need to be. I mean, a lot of things on this show didn't need to be as long as they were, but that's an industry-wide problem right now. You know, it was all right, but once the injury, injury angle, whatever you want to say, happened, I thought that's when it got interesting to me. Well, again, that's... I started watching the, the first part, and it's a three-way, right? And, uh, and then... The best part, I'm skipping ahead a bit. At one point, Bianca powerbombed Charlotte and one of Bianca's fake eyelashes stuck on Charlotte's arm and it looked like she had a giant caterpillar crawling across. <laughs> I've never seen that before. And then about 15 minutes in, Charlotte moonsaulted both of them off the top there laying there next to each other. That was nice and tried to put the figure eight on both of them. It was a good creative thought, but obviously you can't do it. And then Charlotte dumps Bianca over the top rope, and Bianca, you couldn't see, you heard her hit the stairs, but it was behind the ring, so you couldn't see what she hit. And she sold it great. And the referees and the doctors were out to check on her. And then- And you know what else? I think it was Corey Graves on commentary. He had a, the greatest line. He said, you know, she's injured right now. I forget the way he said it, but why don't we focus on the action in the ring, not on the injury yes, on the floor? Yes, because they, they had a shot of her on the floor. And he was almost like, well, let's focus on the competitors in the ring, almost like get away from the car wreck. She's really hurt. It kind of gave it yeah. a little oomph there. And she was screaming and crying and covering her face, and you believe yeah. that she was really badly hurt? But anyway, the doctors come to check on her and the referees, and they're helping her out, and she's limping. And meanwhile, Charlotte hits a superplex in the ring, and then Bianca storms back. She she she's not going to go out that way. And then that's what I arrived like we're 20 minutes into this fucking thing, right? Good lord. But finally Charlotte gets the figure eight on Bianca and she's got the whole bridge going and everything and Oscar rolls back in and mists mists Charlotte, mists Miss Charlotte in the face and Charlotte's blind, let's go with the leg lock and Oscar tries to kick Bianca 
and Bianca ducks it and schoolboys Oscar one, two, three. So Bianca wins the belt back. And then suddenly, here comes EO and Bailey down with the briefcase. And they nail Charlotte on the way down and then beat up Bianca with the briefcase. And then EO cashes in and hits a moonsault one, two, three. Now EO is the champion. So they had a 20 minute match and they switched the belt twice in two minutes. And the people cheered the heel taking advantage of the injured baby face and beating her and fucking her out of her belt. And then they popped again when the other heel, Dakota Kai, returned to the ring to celebrate with the other heel after winning yes. the belt. <laughs> the heels get to celebrate in the ring, not the baby faces. That's the big change. So, the, yeah, the same thing that the, the fucking heel would have been started a riot 30 years ago. They're just happy now to see shit happen. Well, it, it was like, you know, the other night, or the other night, last night on Collision, they were in Greenville, South Carolina, and the guys went outside the ring to fight. Fuck, Ole Anderson was in the crowd for 10 seconds in Greenville, and he got stabbed for 100-something stitches and almost killed. They go out and fucking just have all kinds of fun, and nobody even notices. Anyway, so that was that. Closing thoughts on the shocking turn of events in the women's world title picture i thought it got really good after the knee injury spot they got me i thought she was really hurt based on the way she was reacting and when they showed the landing i was like okay she tore acl or something really good there coming out of this they can go in a few different directions bianca won but bianca didn't beat charlotte charlotte got screwed over by oscar i guess that's the natural thing they just re-signed um Kyrie sane Previously, she was aligned with Asuka. We'll see if that happens again. And I guess, again, they had that match in Puerto Rico. Now we'll get more of Io and Bianca, potentially. Because the first match, Bianca won. The second one, I mean, it really isn't a match. It's more of an angle, but she won the belt. Now we'll see where they go from there. So I'm okay with it. Well, as long as you're blessing it, then we'll move forward with the plan. All right, so we are three hours and ten minutes into the show, and the entrances for the main event are starting with Jey Uso, and then Roman and Paul, and then the ring introductions, and then Roman Reigns takes the tribal chief. It's not a lay. I can't pronounce the word. I don't even have it written down in front of me. But the red necklace that signifies the tribal chief he and Jay have a face-off, and, and Roman says, if you beat me, I give this to you. And then they rang the bell, and that took 12 minutes just to get them in the ring and introduce them. So we are almost three and a half hours into this thing, and the match starts. And tribal combat, as we have found out the other day on television, is just is basically no disqualification. Anything goes, lazy booking, but it's, it's a furniture match. It's, it, I mean, this, to me, this called for the hokiness. If, how many other times have we said, my God, they've got potted plants set up in the ring or they've got goddamn, uh, the goddamn, the ring is decked out like a Viking ship 
for preliminary tag teams to fight in, but they come up with tribal combat passed down from the elders, and all we did was go to Home Depot for extra fucking folding chairs and lunchroom tables. Would this not have been the the Inoki and Saito island fight type of thing if they were ever going to do it? Right, which they wouldn't do because they couldn't sell tickets to it, but you would think, like you said, I'm not a big fan of, as you put it, gimmicking up the ring or doing anything like that, but something other than just another one of the matches that everyone has on every show. But now think about this. They're right next to the river. Detroit is right across the river from Windsor, right? Certainly they could have put a fucking, if not an island, at least maybe a garbage scow in the middle of the river. And the field is not that far away. They could have put it on the big screen. They could have sold 500 VIP tickets on a fucking excursion boat to to drive down the river and, and watch the the fight. I don't know. Well, you'd have to get a floaty for Heyman, A. And B, it may look cool with the idea of the Canadian wildfire red sky coming into play in the background. Do you think with Heyman's gross tonnage that even if he had water wings and some kind of buoying device that he would counteract the laws of submersible matter and just sink even if he had pontoons around him you know i'm starting to think you guys are working a program and i don't know about <laughs> his gross tonnage his gross tonnage <laughs> and you ought to see the stuff is not that gross he's got more of that <laughs> Anyway, oh, so they start God. this match, and Roman is putting Jay's shit over early, and they go to the floor, and Jay bounces him off the steps, and etc. And by five minutes in, and they're they're taking their time because they know they're going long. The fans are chanting for a table, so Jay just pulls one out, and said they were chanting for tables five minutes into the main event of a fucking pay per view involving the most over guy in the fucking business that's what we've done to the fan base these days so roman then took over and started beating jay up for the most part but it was a snail's pace and i don't know why the first part of this had to go so long when the last part was going to be so complicated over and over but they got a kendo stick and roman wore jay out with that but then Jay would come back with, you know, super kicks and splashes. Then Jay got a chair and hit Roman with it a couple times. And then just got out of the ring and started throwing and threw about eight chairs in the ring. But at a, it wasn't like when Terry Funk used to go insane and just become a tornado around ringside and throw shit. He was just picking shit up and chucking it in the ring and other guys laying there. That's, that's what these matches become. It wasn't, you know, FTR and Jay and Juice went 58 minutes and it didn't seem that long. This seemed twice as long because they were constantly doing something in that match. Whereas in these matches, they do a big stunt and somebody sells for a minute and a half while the other guy sets up the furniture and then they move a position a little bit and then they do another stunt with another piece of furniture or prop and it just goes on and on and it's so it's not even knocking these guys as workers it's i'd love to see them work i don't want a, a goddamn 45 minute movie fight scene can you imagine an 
when you were a kid, well, I don't know if you were, when you were a kid, they didn't watch Westerns anymore. But when I was a kid in the 60s, you'd watch TV, the Western movie, the big saloon brawl would come up and all the stunt people would be taking the bump off the goddamn balcony through the saloon tables and everything. Did you ever see the sheriff set the table in the right place and then take the fucking heel up the stairs to where the, the fucking whores work out of the goddamn saloon to punch him and knock him through the railing so he would take a bump through the table? Uh, I don't remember that specific movie. We had Silverado in the 80s. Silverado. I'm not talking about cars. No, the Western. It was the last great Western yeah. of that era. Anyway, so chairs I'm talking about. And again, they're getting the, they've, the fans booed the referee at one point for clearing the chairs out of the ring so they could actually move around instead of falling in garbage. Um, the announcers were doing the golf commentary over the arrangement of furniture. Well, he's setting up now the second table. I think the other problem was the crowd was dead and the crowd well, yeah, was dying was more and a more peep. and it was going so slow. At this point, it became apparent that things were going really slow and it just kept slowing down and slowing mm -hmm. down. It was endless. The crowd seemed, they weren't like booing or yelling boring, but they weren't even breathing it at various points, it seemed like. And the commentators, there was only so much even they could say. <laughs> They ran, it was taking so long, they ran out of things to say. So there was lots of silence. I mean, there was one point, the big bump, Jay gave Roman the Samoan drop off the apron through a table, and Roman actually landed on Jay's head. It hurt the guy giving it more than, but they both would sell. And then so they could get a leather strap, and then Jay will whip Roman. But then they fight to the back of the arena like that hasn't been done before. And again, they're in Detroit, for fuck's sake. You can't get stabbed out in a crowd in Detroit. Nobody's got any heat. And Solo comes out and in front of the referee, because it's no DQ, attacks Jay and puts him through the audio table and then drags him and carries him back to the ring. If all this is okay, then why didn't Solo just come out with a baseball bat at the bell? There's a loophole there. Why doesn't, Rome, why doesn't Roman just shoot him? Well, yeah, but it, and not only that, in their universe, in their universe of logic, because now it's Solo gets Jay in the ring, and he, he's continuing to constantly interfere. If it's tribal combat, how is it legal in tribal combat for somebody else to fight for you? It seems like that would be against the rule, because they're honorable Samoan people. So I can understand Solo coming out and interfering but not continuously in front of God and everybody, because then that makes it look like, well, your tribal combat's bullshit. But it's modern wrestling. And then Solo goes for the spike, and Roman goes for the spear, but Jay pulls Solo into the spear. And then Jay spears Roman and gets a two-count. It's a big pop, because they're still with Jay. They're 30 minutes in. <laughs> it's a handicap match still. Solo stops him again. But then Solo and Roman start arguing. And while they're looking at each other, Jay spears Roman through the barricade. But Solo clears off the announce desk and goes to rock bottom him through, I think that was be either the second or third table. But then Jay comes out and kicks him and splashes Solo through the announce desk. And I wrote, will this ever end? And just then, in the ring, 
Jay speared Roman and hit the splash off the top and had him covered, and some guy in a hoodie pulls Jay out off the cover, and it's Jimmy. And you called it again, you prick. And you say some guy in a hoodie. As soon as he appeared, you knew who it was. Well, yeah, but I don't know about this. One of those, one of the Usos, and it may unfortunately be Jimmy, might be genetted out of this. But anyway, um, so Jimmy then super kicks Jay and rolls him in the ring, and Roman spears Jay through another table and finally gets the one, two, three. So 36 minutes bell to bell plus 10 minutes of entrances plus the glorification celebration and replays afterwards for almost five minutes. This was almost an hour alone. Your final thoughts on this exhibition? This was brutal. I have to say, and I've been a fan of the bloodline stuff. Even when I think they're losing me, they pull me back in. I thought this match was horrible. I thought the angle was horrible. This may have been the night the bloodline jumped the shark. Heyman in the post-show media scrum was saying that this is only the third inning. There's so much more to go. There's so much more to be done. I don't know. And I, you say I called it. The only reason I called it was it's the same people in this. It's never anyone new being involved in it. So it wasn't like the match is going to happen and Jay will get screwed by wrestler X we haven't seen before or someone else on the roster. They're going to keep it in-house. And it was Jimmy. And I don't think anyone liked this angle. You know, again, we all completely shit on Cody Rhodes losing to Roman at WrestleMania. And things seem to be okay since then for the bloodline. But this was bad. This was bad. It was a bad match. It was... <laughs> bad dog. Bad. It bad. was long as fuck. It just never ended and everything was taking forever. It was yeah. so slow. Even, like I said, Michael Cole who I've never been a fan of, there was nothing he could say. What was he supposed to say? At a certain point, him and Corey Graves, there was nothing to talk about. It was taking forever. And I, I just, I think after all this, having Jimmy be the one to cost Jay in this manner, I don't know. I, so let me, let, well, let, let's summarize this. So you're a set of twins and your cousin treats you like shit and your younger brother sides with your cousin, and then finally your cousin hospitalizes one of the twins, so the other twin wants to fight the cousin to get even for what happened to his twin brother, and when he's on the verge of whipping not only the cousin that hospitalized the twin, but has dispatched the younger brother who's on the cousin's side also, the first twin comes out of the hospital and fucks it up for the second twin. Was he under the ring? I don't fucking know. He, well, they obviously didn't shoot him in however he approached the ring, so it would be a surprise when he was suddenly there. But he may have just hopped the rail in the hoodie. They, they probably had him hunker down and just fucking go out while everybody's attention down a you know, a, a hallway over there behind the announce desk while everybody's attention was in the ring. Man, I, you know, they got to do something with the bloodline that's different now. They got to get someone else in the mix. I mean, I was actually hoping after the Cody match, okay, maybe they're going to start going towards Cody and Roman again sooner than later because Cody has so much momentum. 
after this, I don't know. I got to see what they're going to do on SmackDown, I guess. But bad again, bad match, long, <laughs> endless, bad match. And and that's the thing. I'm, we're not shitting all over the angle, and everybody's been interested in it. And we still want to see what's going to go on, although we are starting to be afraid that they may be pushing it a little bit. But this match was not, it could have been half the length and it probably would have gotten over better with that crowd that had already been sitting there for hours and hours. But to watch on television, it was like, oh, shit. You know, it may be the third inning, but it's not an official game until you get to the fifth inning. Maybe this one will be called on rain or something. I don't know. Oh, I, was, I was about to say, what's the weather forecast up there? Is it going to ra- be rained out? I don't know, but oof. And, I, you know, again, on the other hand, they're breaking all these records everywhere they go. They're making more money and drawing more fans than they have in years. And everything is just, other than, you know, the Vince <laughs> federal investigation, everything is just wonderful up there. And it's Roman Reigns on top. So, I mean, we're criticizing this. We'll see if fans react to it or they're just going to tune in to see how WWE recovers from this. Or I say recovers, in my eyes. What they imagine, imagine if they had the, the means of distribution, the internet and the streaming and the rights fees and everything related to that today while having the roster of stars of the Attitude Era with Austin Rock, Foley, Mankind, Taker, blah, blah, blah. And we're selling the amount of live event tickets because there was that level of interest from people. Multiple millions of people. It would be incredible. But as... (laughs) I'm afraid that wrestling, again, is, is subsisting on an unsustainable model because it seems like that there have to be more delivery and distribution methods created and more revenue streams opened up to compensate and more money coming per capita from each interested fan to compensate for the people that just don't fucking watch this anymore in such large numbers. Imagine we had the amount of fans that we had 25, 30 years ago along with the ways to monetize it that we do now. Well, oh, well, unfortunately, we're stuck in the now. My time machine can't go backwards. It can only go forward. Well, Stewie, you ought to keep working on that until you get it right. All right, speaking of going forward in time, it's going to be less than two days. We're going to be reconvening to start the process of your program, the drive through this week. Is that correct? Is it less than two days? Oh it certainly is. 48 hours was two days last time I heard. I was in school a while back, but I don't think they've changed it. Oh, my God. All righty. Well, in that case, then we will we'll let that be Brian's final word. Oh, my God. As we're going to watch even more wrestling for your edification, education, and interest. And we will be back in a few days with the drive through And next week, right here on The Experience. And until then, thank you. Fuck SummerSlam. And bye-bye, everybody.